This is a production of Dirty Mode Media. The Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again. Another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Today's guest, Greg Ives, he's going to come in and talk to us. We're going to start uh, start from the beginning, I think. Talk about his career, everything he had going on. It's a pretty incredible story. It's really the American dream. you got to hear it. It's going to be great. Uh, Mike Davis is here with me, my co-host. Hey, Mike. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. Good. Uh, Schultz is here. Leah's here. We got Ash Jr. coming down uh, toward the end of the show. Always fun. I don't know if it'll be my favorite part today because I'm pretty interested in hearing this story about Greg Ives. Honestly, I don't know all of it, so I'm going to be learning it uh, right here in real time with you guys. I'm honestly um, pumped up about people hearing this because people ask me all the time about, like, how do I get in racing? How do I get in racing? Listen to this story Mm -hmm. we're, we're about to hear from Greg Ives about how to get into racing. This is it. This is it. There's no easier route. Um, but let's go right into the, um, the open segment. Brad Keselowski wins and ties me and Jeff Gordon for second all-time at Talladega. I text Brad. I said, hey, you can, you can win more races than me at Talladega, but do not win more races than my dad. Um, Joe Ligano, he flipped and had some comments after his flip at Talladega, says that the big spoiler is causing the big wrecks. David Reagan disagreed on Twitter saying the drivers are causing the big wrecks. Neither one's uh, wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> um, that spoiler is, uh, it's aside from aesthetically ridiculous looking, it does absolutely contribute to putting the drivers in these situations. And there is an alternative, and that's um, really getting the spoiler way, way down on the cars to almost nothing and just taking power out of the cars, like a smaller motor. Don't choke them down with a plate. Let's just, you know, get less horsepower out of the cars at that particular track. You know, they build dedicated plate engines uh, to run there. Um, we could probably find a way to uh, to run to have an engine that produces less power uh, and just take all that, you know, spoiler and all that mess off. And just let these guys really go out there and settle it on the racetrack. Instead of kind of packing them together and, and seeing who can figure out how to make the right moves and and uh, not not destroy themselves, um, just go out there and see who can build the faster car. Yeah, I kind of, you know, I know I made a lot of um, my career at Talladega in pack racing, but I also appreciated how the cars used to race in the 70s and the 80s when guys would just flat out be fast, right, and mm-hmm. and drag two or three or four or five six guys away from the pack and drive away. And, uh, you know, if you're going to get around a guy, you had to really team up and work together or, or maybe there's a way to bring the slingshot back. I don't know. But anyways, I don't like the big spoiler. I think it's a problem, especially at that track. It's really tall. Uh, but David uh, has a point too. You know, the drivers have to understand how to take a little better care of each other. And sometimes, and I've been, look, man, I've been in that situation where I've been the guy that's caused the wreck. Um, and I've, I've been in a few of those situations where I've been the guy that's caused the wreck, and I know that I had something to do with it. It wasn't the spoiler. It was me. So, uh, yeah, the drivers have, have some responsibility in what happens out there, but I think that spoiler definitely puts them in a tough position, puts them in a, puts them in a bad situation. And, and because of why? Because is the close-up speed 
Uh, yeah. what, what is it? Are the cars just too good? Yeah. So this is what I would propose is, look, I understand the, the, I, overall, the overall global idea of the spoiler is to create drag, slow the cars down, right? And create an opportunity for some closing rate, guys to pull up and pass and do those things. I wish that they would find a way to create that drag on the nose of the car, on the front of the car, in front of the firewall. Take the spoiler off and find a way to create that same drag and closing rate, dis- sort of whatever you're trying to do to disable the lead car so that he is easy to pass. Do that in front of the firewall, somewhere on the nose of the car. So um, that's... I mean, it, it, and that's hard to do. I mean, that, that, there's no simple answer there, but that's where I wish we were looking, is instead of just stacking more spoiler on the car, trying to do something firewall forward to to make it to where, man, a guy gets the lead and he's pretty vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, would probably create some pretty exciting racing. And maybe the closing rate wouldn't be um, unpredictable, I guess, for these guys. And plus, that spoiler, you can't... I mean, I know it's Lexan, but it's still uh, difficult to see around, especially when you got several of the cars in front of you with that tall spoiler in front of you, and they're all moving around. I mean, it's it's hard to really differentiate on what's going on. Anyways, moving on. Josh Berry wins $30,000 at Orange County Speedway. Super proud of Josh. Went over... Uh, had a terrible day at um, Talladega Racing in the Xfinity race because the race got ran short. He had a flat tire running second, actually leading the uh, – well, he the, the cycle was happening, the, the pit cycle was happening. He had actually put himself in position to be in the top three once the cycle completed, but he had a tire uh, come apart on the right rear, ended up getting a trap to lap down. Caution comes out late in the race. He did get the lap back, I believe, but uh, didn't get to sort out where he was – You know, didn't get to move forward. He ends up with a terrible finish because the race ended under caution, under rain. He goes to Orange County Speedway the next day. Their program had also rained out. They had some heat and qualifying stuff going on Saturday that got rained out. Well, he goes Sunday to Orange County Speedway, qualifies and races and wins a $30,000 event. Um, he also won the same $30,000 event the year before for the Cars Tour at Greenville Pickens. So great payday for Josh. And uh, Noah Gragson won back-to-back Xfinity Dash for cash $100,000 prizes. The first one he divvied out to his team. I wonder what mm-hmm. he's going to do with this $100,000. Yeah, but maybe his owner. Yeah. Chad uh, Ochocinco is tweeting about uh, the commercials during the Talladega race over the weekend. I thought that was pretty funny, considering that I'm an analyst yeah, for a it, network. Yeah, and I'm not so sure he didn't have a point. There felt like way more than you agreed, Leah. Yeah. yeah. That, there was a lot. Yeah. But, but I, I assume there's a reason for it, and I, I'm not going to get into the – and to that, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're in the TV business, so who are we to criticize? The I TV? will say this. Um, I thought it was funny. I will say that a lot of times if there's some green flag action going on, there is a number of commercial breaks that have to happen. They're predetermined. They, If things are kind of running along and there's some green flag action, not a lot of things happen, and they try to front load those commercial breaks and get them in as soon as they can to allow for less of those at the end of the race. Now, that doesn't always work out that way, but – at least the producer and, and, and folks working in the truck are trying to do their best to give you the most important part of the race is with as least amount of caution breaks or commercial breaks as possible. But, yeah, pretty interesting to see uh, somebody new watching our sport and having that be their takeaway. <laughs> well, funny and also yeah. kind of disturbing. I mean, you want them – you want, you know, potential new fans. And yeah. now that Chad's probably more than just a new fan, but 
You don't want that to be their impression. No. Yeah, cleaned up my treehouse. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, took a mop to it. So Isla's gotten to this fun age where literally this week she started riding scooters, climbing trees, and wanting to go to the treehouse and hang out. Um, she's like turning into this person. I know I said that like a year ago on this show probably, but uh, now she's like walking and talking and doing and, and just telling me all about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's so fun. Yeah, I saw you. Week. You were up there. She's in the turning three her. this week. She turns three Friday. You got a birthday party? Plans? Oh yeah, boy, big we got one? big plans. All right. Yep. I got her a couple cool gifts. I guess since she probably doesn't listen to podcasts, I can tell you what I got her. <laughs> yeah. I got her a dollhouse. Nice. Um, she's sort of getting into the dolls where she's you know she'll take the two dolls and and they'll they'll talk to each other and they'll play. She um, she's getting into that. Um, she never did that before, didn't care about dolls, didn't play with them, didn't talk to them, they didn't have voices and nothing, right? So maybe dollhouse is going to be a cool gift. I got her a, she wanted a flute, so she she hands me this, uh, she has this like a pen or something or stick or some toy that she has. She had two of them, she hands, she's got one in her hand, she hands me one, she goes, all right daddy, and she starts mimicking playing a flute. And I'm like, are we playing a flute? And she goes, yeah, we're playing a flute. And I'm like, do you want a real flute? <laughs> She's like, yes So I got on Amazon And got her a flute there So go. we've got flutes coming Amy not thrilled No So yeah. um, I feel it Yeah The other thing I got her And this is super cool Is an electric go-kart So the other day She said she wanted to ride her scooter She's never rode anything with wheels Doesn't No balance or any of that stuff Right So I put her little helmet on And she's got this little three-wheel scooter With two on the front One center in the back and we went down the hill to the go-kart track, and we go by it, and she's like, I want to go to the track. So we go over to the track, and she just rows around and around and around, lap after lap after lap. And I'm like, when's this, tired? When's this kid going to get tired? And she does like electric cars, but she doesn't have one. She has some hand-me-down stuff that are, that's all busted and broken and hardly runs. Mm-hmm. And so I got her a uh, – it's this little couple hundred bucks cheap electric go-kart. Uh, I think Red Rider makes it. Uh-oh. Yeah, throwing it back to a Christmas story. I don't, I don't know. I might have that wrong, but uh, let me see. Here's my order, Amazon. It Radio Flyer. Sorry, Radio Flyer. Yes, Red Rider. I was like, you got our BB gun. No, so Radio Flyer makes this little go kart. I, pro- I probably shouldn't even mention their name without them paying a little money for an ad read. Oh man, I but, love uh, where your head's yeah. at. <laughs> but beep T- it out. TJ has the same one for his little girl, TJ Majors, and. Uh, yeah, so I showed that. To, so me and Amy have had this interesting debate about. Um, I'm like, hey man, we got girls. We don't got to worry about racing, right? Wrong. You know, girls like to race, right? One of these two girls that I have probably gonna want to end up racing a little bit. This is where it starts. Probably gonna happen. Nothing that we, even if we did nothing, right, to influence it. Their world is. They're surrounded by it for sure. Yep. And literally, Isla plays with race cars. She goes over to my cases of my diecast and goes, I want that one. I want to play with that one. I want that one. I have a shelf where it's just the, the less interesting diecasts hang out. And uh, she's like, I want to. Uh, I'm like, here, play with these. Play with these. These I don't care about. They're mm. not in my case. She calls them my refrigerator. I have a, <laughs> I have a, I have a boxed in glass diecast case. And she goes, I want that car out of the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm like, that's not a refrigerator, Isla. It's right. just a protective case, and nothing comes out of there. But um, 
so she's into cars and racing, and she sees it on TV, and and she, she, she's definitely starting to pick up on it. It's um inevitable, man. So, but anyways, I basically bought that without telling it, I, Amy. And yeah, yeah. that 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 I can see why she would have questions. She wasn't happy, but I told her I said we won't put the decals on it. Make it we won't make it look like a racing cart. It'll just be a cart. That's the difference, huh? <laughs> it's just the decals. Slight difference. That makes it <laughs> good But I was going to go around. We're going to take it down to go racetrack, man. Let her run some laps. <laughs> okay. You, but it, as long as it doesn't have decals. Race, it's not a racetrack. It's not a racetrack. We'll, we'll it's just it a, a circle. Paved circle. <laughs> so. Yeah. The funny thing is, is like all of my friends, like Jason Burdett and Rodney Childers and, and all these people, countless people have brought their kids to this go-kart track on my property that's right. For them to start sort of running a cart or learning how to drive, turn left and all those things, right? Go around in a circle. And they all were three years old. This Jason Burdett's son started lap, running laps at my track. And he's still at, racing. At three. And he's still racing. Yeah. And I remember saying to Jason, like, he's three. How does he know to – what? The, how does he not just drive straight off at the end of the straightaway into the grass, right? They're, they're three. How did they know to two? I didn't know to turn left at 12, right? But now that she's going to be turning laps, you're going to start studying where she's turning in the apex. Watch. <laughs> this is how it happens. You're, you're, going to, you're getting bit by the bug. You don't even realize it. I'm just enjoying it. Yeah, sure. You call it what you yeah. want, but this is it. You're well, about to be a racing dad. And this, hey, by stay the way, tuned. By stay the way, tuned. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. But it's, Amy, up, it's up to Isla. <laughs> stay tuned. I'll let you know. She'll let us know. Mark this. This is a different podcast series, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> this is There's it. your open. That's the open. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Well, Greg Ives is here. And I'm pumped up about this conversation. Great friend of mine. Just, just get him in the room and get it started. Let's bring Greg Ives to the Dell Junior Download. Greg Ives comes over from the Xfinity Series with the Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott wins at Texas. Yes, 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 yes. He's going to do it again. Back-to-back wins. Chase Elliott. That's what happens when we win races. Chase Elliott is going to become the NASCAR Nationwide Series champion. The champions are made of Just think that Greg Ives and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Wait till you see what these two kids do together. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Checkered flag at Talladega. Man, you did a heck of a job in there. I couldn't be more proud of what you did this weekend. Alex Bowman will win at Chicago. Damn, Greg Ives, you are the man. Alex Bowman comes to the stripe to win the Auto Club 400. And you saw the emotion right there, Greg Ives. 
Alex Bowman steals one in Richmond. Oh, oh man, great guys. Great. Pump. 48 is pumped. It's the man, Greg Ives. Hey. Hey, Greg. Hello. <laughs> Have a seat. Put that mic anywhere you want. And then throw them headphones on before you say one word. Because we want to hear everything. Yes. There he is. Everything. Wow, I never thought this day was going to come. What are you, crazy? <laughs> you had to have known that we were going to have you on the show at some point. Yeah. Were you wondering when it was going to happen? I, I thought I was going to be a little more gray-haired, though. <laughs> yeah. it was going to be a while. Well, man, this should tell you that you're... Um, you're having, you know, you're you're accomplishing a lot, and we wanted to get you on the show before you, you know, before you turn gray. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody knows Greg Ives. Me and Greg worked together for a couple years, and Greg was my amazing crew chief. We had a ton of fun. We'll get into that. Uh, but this is, you know, this is my opportunity to learn even more about you. We spent a lot of time together. I thought I asked you everything, but we're gonna find out. If, if there's something about you maybe that I didn't know, anyhow, I like to start at the beginning. So can you take me back to that moment where you first remember being either at a track, around a race car, like where, where is the racing connection for you? We like to find out where everybody kind of got plugged in and what, where they cross paths, right? Whether they were born into it or their family, dad, race, uncle, uncle race, whatever. So how did it start with you? Well, uh, my brother is 17 years older than I am. What? And we, yeah, we have, a, Hold up. we have a big family. Stop, stop, stop. How big? So we have, uh, I have six sisters and one brother. So and how is 17 years apart? How? Uh, it must be cold winters up in uh, <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> upper Michigan. But yeah, so my, my dad um, and my brother raced, uh, you know, when I, I was born, basically, and uh, being that, that big a spread... I kind of looked at my brother as almost my dad figure. He'd take me out in his Corvette and ride me around, you know, kind of like I was his kid. And, you know, my dad, I was around all the time like my grandpa, you know. Yeah. So, um, and and that's kind of where my memory of uh, cleaning race cars, you know, I was a small kid going so in the who, back. How many, whose cars are you cleaning? My brother's. He he was the only racer yep. in the family. Well, my brother, my dad raced. Oh, you did. Um, but then when my my brother started and could do it, he uh, he kind of backed off. So. What kind of cars are we talking about? So my my brother started in uh, on motorbikes and and dune buggies, off road racing, uh, street stocks, uh, and then started in a late model uh, when he was seventeen years what old. What racetracks are we at? So we're at Norway Speedway, uh, Kakana, Wisconsin, WRR, uh, racing with. Uh, you know, Mark Martin and Dick Trickle and, uh, you know, all, all those uh, great short track names that you uh, talk about. And, um, you know, I think he he was down here last week uh, talking about how him and Dick Trickle got in a, a little scuffle at the <laughs> at Norway Speedway one night. Really? So, um, yeah, my brother is about 180 degrees uh, personality from me. I'm kind of calm, cool, collected. He's quite opposite. So, yeah. Um, I did not take any of my aggressive uh, nature from him. That's <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah, I can see that. I met your brother, and 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 y'all are you completely don't even look like y'all are brothers. No, not Would at all. Never know it. I so, guess that's why there's 17 years gap. Must genes must change a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, you're cleaning, messing around with your brother's car. Uh, are you turning it? Are you becoming a mechanic? 
What are you learning while you're working on his yeah, stuff? Yeah, uh, basically, I, I had free reign of the garage whenever they weren't there. So, what's the garage look like? It's a uh, it's old barn. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, old barn that uh, basically, instead of cows, my dad didn't want to be a farmer anymore or at all. So <laughs> uh, we uh, built a a little. Uh, building inside of it and then uh we had concrete the floor and Mm -hmm. that was our our race shop so uh one part was where the race car and and engines got worked on the other part was where you know either the trailer or the tow truck or 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 the plow truck sat in the winter so got you um but yeah uh, i just uh worked on them there uh and then i really got my first bug for racing uh, on quarter night so what is quarter night quarter night you have uh, it, it basically kids have uh you th- throw a bunch of quarters into sawdust and you bring all the kids down from the grandstands and they go chasing uh quarters and and see how much they can pick up um you had probably more sawdust and quarters but it, it was a lot of fun and then um we also had that same night big wheel racing so mm. um you know i i had my big wheel all hopped up and you're supposed to go from uh, basically exit of turn four to entry to turn one as fast as you can, and I decided to go all the way around the racetrack. And uh, I had people yelling at me, and I said, it's my right to make the whole lap. <laughs> yeah. So, um, But, yeah, that's where I got my bug. And if you look at my Twitter handle there, that's that's the picture of me. I think I finished second or third or whatever in, the, in that race. But ultimately, uh, from there on out, getting – Getting snuck into in the trailer in the in the hauler, uh, put throwing a cover over me and, and being in the pits. That's that's where I got it all started. Mm. How much does a pit pass cost? Uh, free Probably. when free when you're in the back. I know. Free when you're under the cover. <laughs> I, I snuck in. Me and Curry when we raced street stocks. I would sneak in. We had a box on the on the front of the trailer, and I'd climb in the box. And because a pass was twenty bucks. Yeah. I mean, dang, we weren't going to get that racing in street stocks. No. If, even if we won. Yeah, fifteen <laughs> bucks, ten bucks. I don't know. It was it was free that night. Yeah. A few nights. They open the door to the box. You just start handing them tools like you like you're helping them. Yeah. Like you're, you climbed in there to get it out. I, I was told to stay in one location, and that's where I stood the whole night. I got really? a perfect perfect view of the track, and you know, my dad didn't want me to get hurt or run over, but he wanted me to see the racing experience. So, um, yeah, I, I listened, uh, quite well. So, so when do you finally start thinking, man, I want to drive? So my, my br- brother, like I said, they were racing, uh, quite a bit. And then we took a break to, um, start our family business. Uh, I've struck an auto repair and I was 11 years old when I started there. Um, and we were not racing at the time, just you know, timing, uh, financials to, to get a business started. And, you know, my brother really wanted to get back into it. And I think I was 15 at the time when my brother went to the racetrack and started to, uh, drive for a fella and, uh, just to see if he wanted to get back into it. Um, and the day I turned 16 or, or shortly after that, um, we were on the way to the racetrack as we pulled in, my brother told me I was driving that night. So what car? Like it was a super late model. Yeah. Yeah. Never raced, never raced before in my life. So he said, he's like, uh, you can borrow my suit at this point. I'm about four inches taller than him. So, (laughs) uh, you know, good thing I had long socks on. That was his plan all along, I guess. Yeah. It was his plan. He just didn't tell you. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm, thinking I'm going to help him. And he looks over and goes, you ready to race? And I'm like, when? Yeah, I'm ready. And he's like, tonight. And I'm like, not ready. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not ready at all. So how did that race go? Uh, I, I qualified pretty bad. Um, I, I didn't really know 
Uh, yeah. We, you know, the, we had the two shifters, you know, rather than the regular uh, H pattern. You had the two shifters for first, second, and, and, uh, and reverse. And um, ultimately, uh, I, I had a crash course on how to, how to drive the car. And um, I didn't qualify very well. Uh, I started in the back of the heat. And for the feature, I was like, Dad, I just... I, if I'm going to learn, I got to, I got to be with the guys and race with them. So I ended up winning the, the B feature that night and, uh, moved on to the A and, uh, I made all the laps. I don't know how, how well or how bad I finished, sure. uh, but I made all the laps and, um, you know, I at least got it. One of my first pictures was victory lane after, uh, uh, the B feature win. So. That's wild. You I'm impressed. The B feature. Yeah, I mean, I mean, gosh, you win the B feature. You I remember finish the, all the laps today. Yeah. I mean, your first race, man. You're you're like got no clue. Like you don't know no. nothing. Like zero. What track was that? It was uh, Norway Speedway. Okay. The fact that you didn't destroy it or <laughs> run into somebody or crash it somehow because you have no racing acumen, you like you have no, don't even know how to race. Yeah, I experienced it yesterday. I. I had my wife run iRacing for the first time last night, and it's amazing that she drives on the street, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then Parker, my five-year-old, he's did he's you a, actually say that while she was standing? Yeah, <laughs> I did. And she's she lets you she's she said I was a terrible driving coach. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So I like that. I like he, he's a he's a cup crew chief, but a terrible driving coach. That's a reasonable but, return yeah, comeback. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Boy, I, I got better. Deep. I got better after I got. Yeah, I laughed a little bit first, but yeah. So, you run that first race, you get done. Are you are you hooked? Yeah, definitely hooked. Yeah, it, it was it was you know, we really we like I said we were driving the the second car for our team and wait what we were driving that my brother was driving for a guy, you but that was the second car. You had the second car. Yeah, and you know after that race, my dad's like, hey, you want to buy it? And I'm like, buy the car? Yeah, and I was like, sure. So he's like. Got half the money. I was like, no, but I'll, I'll go go find it, and uh, ended up getting half the money for the car. Where'd you and, find it? Uh, just savings, and we went, Dug you know, went brought some town. more cedar brush to the to Teal's Tree Farms, and and <laughs> you know, on the back of the Escort, and sold some more cedar bolts, you know. So yeah. and, and went digging into sawdust for some quarters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. you got the car. Um, what's the car look like? Uh, it's a, a Monte Carlo or Camaro, uh, the old Camaro looking body. Um, it's a it was fifth design how car, so it wasn't didn't have a ton of adjustability uh, in it. But you know it was it was a car that had an engine, four wheels, and turn turned. What color so was it? It was red, mm-hmm. red with black numbers initially, and then I changed it up for the next year. I put white numbers on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you could tell he still feels real good about that decision yeah, too. You could yeah. tell. It, they eyes. really popped. All right. So, what track are we racing at? Norway Speedway. Norway, and you. What's the next couple of years look like? How long are you racing? Uh, so I raced uh, for eight eight years. What there. eight years? Yeah, for from, from what uh, age? From, from 16, sixteen to twenty three. So okay, I graduated college. Hold uh, on, hold on. Let's get too far ahead now. Yeah, because you're an engineer, right? Yeah. So I want to understand what what made, what sent you to what sent you in that direction, right? Yeah, because so usually a guy like you. Or a guy like me, when we get that driving bug, like college is like, oh, hell no. I ain't doing that because that's going to separate me from this, right? I want to race. I want to drive. I'm, I'm, this, is my, this is how I'm going to make a living how, somehow. I'm doing this. And you'll, sac- you'll give up everything. You'll, you'll, you'll make the most silliest decisions of, uh, you know, derailing your college uh, expectations and, and career. So 
I want to understand, like, you're racing and you're enjoying it. Uh, you race for eight years. What makes you, what steers you to college, right? What steers you toward trying to uh, get this degree? And why did you want to do that? Like, why, wh- you know, how did that remain important to you so much so that you were, you know, because that was a big part of who you became. Yeah. Right? When when I was young, uh, my dad told me, he said, I don't want you to work like I had to work, yeah. right? And, you know, having a big big family and, and, and having to provide whatever means possible, um, he, he said, I want you to go to college. I want you to become a doctor. And, you know, that stuck with me. I, I was kind of, I was, I was pretty much whatever my dad or my mom said, I was, that's the path I was going to take. Um, I never really deviated too far from that, uh, no matter what, if it was a racing, racing passion or not. So I already had in mind, I was going to med school. I was going to become a pediatrician or, a uh, uh, a surgeon. So, um, you know, that, that was in my mind before racing gotcha. ever even became a, a notion for me. So that's, that's, uh, was my mindset as I started racing. Uh, I fell in love with racing, but not, not so much the driving part. I fell in love with the mechanics side of the car, mm. uh, adjusting roll centers, understanding, uh, springs and, and shocks and, and, you know, just, just the basic maintenance, uh, behind it, setting up a program of, of, you know, how to be successful. And that, that's what grew my passion, getting Steve Smith, uh, auto sports books and reading them, whether it was for dirt cars or, or goat carts or, you know, the street stock, super late models, um, just reading those cover to cover. And, and when that one got wore out, reading another, the same one to cover to cover again, because I had already made too many notes in that one. So, um, I, I realized early in my racing career that it wasn't so much money that wasn't going to take me to the cup level. It's probably a little bit of talent too. So even though I did well enough at, at the track, I didn't travel enough. I didn't, I wasn't good enough in the seat, turning the wheel, uh, to, to make a living at it. But what I could do is take the passion of understanding the race car and apply it each week with changes and feel it for myself. So that's, that was my true passion. And, uh, ultimately, you know, my, my doctor career, uh, kind of took a left turn, uh, to, to what my mom told me I should be an engineer. Your mom broke that news to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she did. And, um, and, and I, I definitely agreed with her, but I, I, that was after a couple of years of pre-med, uh, colleges. Wait, wait, wait. So you went to pre-med college? Yeah. So how was that? It, it was good, but engineers didn't need to take organic chemistry. So I was like, dang it, mom, <laughs> that was a lot of wasted time. Yeah. So, but so you still have this sort of started a foundation of, yeah. of building that, that med. Yeah. I, I figure after I retire from crew chief and I'll go into medical Finish field it out. Some, somehow, <laughs> somewhere. For real? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been to the, uh, nationwide, uh, children's yeah. hospital several times, um, it's been fascinating to stay in touch with some of those uh, folks up there, and um, I'd love to go into and 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 uh, you know dedicate my life to the, the medical field as well. So once wow. racing is done, incredible! I did not know that. Yeah, dang. Yeah. But here's what confuses me: Is this true? Did you tell a newspaper that you wanted to work for Hendrick Motorsports when you were 16? Yes. Well, okay, then 
if that's on your mind at 16 years old and, and you went to college to be pre, who goes to college to be pre-med and then goes to Hendrick Motorsports? Well, you got to keep your options open. You know, when, when you're, when you're a young kid in the upper peninsula, um, I mean, I had 1600 people in the town I grew up and I lived eight miles from that town. Um, there was a quarter mile between me and the next person, dirt road. You know, the, the dream of, uh, being in NASCAR was as close as turning on the TV. That's about it. So, um, but the reality of, of going to school to be a doctor was there because my, my sisters have pursued that path. So, um, you know, that's, that, that was reality of my life is, um, you know, being, going to work for Hendrick Motorsports, that was, that was a dream. And that's, those were words. Um, but becoming a doctor was a reality to me. That's quite remarkable because not only did this happen within 10 years of when he says this at 16, because who has that type of astute observation when they're 16 to know that they're going to go work there? What's more remarkable than that is that you didn't actually believe it then, right? It was a dream. Yeah. You, you already had a course set and it wasn't actually Hendrick Motorsports. It was pre-med. Yeah, it it definitely, um, you know, those are are different paths you know and and you know you have you definitely have to uh you know your your a and and b plan and and sometimes c plan but um the way it all worked out it it, uh was pretty interesting so you um step back to the racing real quick what is your winning percentage i won a lot more uh b features than i did a features when Um, when when you win your first a feature what's your emotion uh controversy why because my brother was in that same race and we were racing hard and uh it was battle back and forth between you and him between me him and another guy and uh just a lot of contact (laughs) with who did anybody spell it out uh yeah i think you know my i was racing my brother hard my brother was racing the other guy hard once i got by he he made it difficult on uh the guy catching me or 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 racing with me so it was kind of like Hey, you you did a did a favor for your brother. Otherwise, I would have passed him. So there was a little controversy there, but all in all, um, you know, I I I won the race, right? Yeah. So it didn't matter. I mean, when I won my first uh, feature at at the beach, uh, I was racing at Myrtle Beach. I'd been running there for a while, and uh, you know, we were ecstatic. Everybody, all, you know, all your buddies that are helping you, who's going with you to the track? Uh, basically, my sisters. Okay, and uh, you know. Later on in my career, it's just my friends. You right, know? your friends. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's jumping up and down, excited to pull into victory lane. So, I mean, did y'all have that sort of experience that night? Uh, a little bit. I would, say, I would say I was definitely happy, but it wasn't, you know, it's kind of like winning a cup race. You know, you still have tech, so you're kind of like gut-wrenching. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Wait, just... is your car not legal? <laughs> <laughs> he was nervous already. You, what are you nervous about? What's wrong with what's Nothing. Wrong? What's tricked up on that thing? Nothing. Just oh come on! Bull. I don't believe it either. No. So this at this table we tell the truth, <laughs> right? At this table we the statute of limitations is passed. It's gone, way yeah. gone. All yeah, right. I mean as far as the car went, it was legal. Yeah, uh, it's hard to win with a legal car. I tried yeah. for years in late model stocks. Yeah, but when you became mechan- the more mechanically inclined that you became after reading and everything, did you ever start to experiment with the car to the point that it wasn't legal? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I de- definitely, um, it, one time I experimented so much that I didn't even know my brother was experimenting for me. So, uh, he changed out a carb spacer one night cause he wanted to run his carb wouldn't fit under the hood with this carb spacer. And he, uh, 
you're only allowed an inch, and you put an inch and a half one. He must not know the tape measure very well. Um, and that night, I, I set fast time, won the fast dash in the feature, and they kicked me out. Yeah. So mm. you didn't even know that it was there. Till I didn't even too know late. It. Hmm. Did your brother laugh at the end of that one? Did he, he go? He, hey, he was not in. He was he was not laughing because we lost the championship that year. That year, Ooh. you or him? I did. Yeah. yeah. Dang it! Were you running well enough to be in yeah. the championship battle? Yeah. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, it, it is. It is good. Jamie Iverson and I always had. Why are you understating your driving? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's just my personality. I know. I guess. We gotta break that. We gotta break that up. <laughs> right. Brag a little bit. Well, you, you don't have to brag. Really good. Yeah. You just tell facts. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was always fast at, at Norway Speedway. Yeah. Uh, smooth what driver. What kind of track is that? It's a three-eighths mile. Uh, s- s- flat. It's what, got what, characteristic what? to it. It's really smooth. Uh, off of two, it has banking. Off of four, it doesn't. So it gives you know, different drive setups. You can you know, really get on the gas off of two, mm-hmm. but you can't off of four. So a lot of times, you know, just having that drive off of four gets you passes down the front stretch. Is it still around? It is, it yeah. Is. Yep. Yeah. Do you ever go back? I do. I, I, you know, my up until probably five, six years ago, I, I would go back in the summer and either do a fan appreciation night where, you know, sign sign some cards for kids yeah. and, and let them know that dreams are possible, like I was. Outside uh, at of 16. you, so outside of you, has anyone else came out of that racetrack and is in the industry? Yeah, uh, you know Dwayne Franklin. He's uh, he? he he's currently a, a truck driver, um, motor coach driver for uh, Starcom on the Double Zero. Was he a racer? He he uh, he raced street stocks. His okay. whole family. I mean, basically the Franklin family racing. Yeah. They they grew up running street stocks. Um, you know, I have a couple friends from that came into the sport as engineers and kind of went back home. Um, you know, Doug Wycheck, He. He was from yes. the the Minnesota area, yeah. um, not too far from me, and came down. Was our engineer yep. for a while. Uh, went back and and he, I think he has uh, forty three motorsports, uh, which he does a lot of IMCA modifieds and B mod uh, shocks and and setups and street stocks. So a lot of a lot of great young kids that you know their passion is racing. People always ask like I get that question all the time like how do I get how does my son, you know, make it? How does my, how do I get into racing? You know, and it, I always only, I mean, there's no like, uh, where place you can go, like sign up. There's no college course to take. It's just go to that local track, go yeah. to that track that you were from yeah. or wherever your local track is and dig in, dig your heels in, yeah. right? Work, find somebody that'll let you pedal, work on their car, go to the shop. Uh, fi- you know, show up enough. Maybe somebody'll hand you a helmet and a, a yeah. you know driving suit one night, just like your brother did to you. Yep. Um, and you know, keep digging, and maybe you end up randomly be yeah. that guy from that track that ends up at Hendrick Motorsports, right? Mm-hmm. Just like Greg Ives did. I mean, that's the story. That's the American dream. Yeah, that's that's number one advice I give to anybody is go to a, a local short track, find a find a team that doesn't have a lot of guys around it and say, Hey, can I jack your car up? My fear is that when you tell somebody that they go, Oh, really? Yeah. Like that's, that's a, that's a steep. <laughs> yeah. But that's right? real, right? It's you, real. You but gotta, damn, you got to volunteer and be willing to, to make nothing they for want, years. A lot to of be people able to get want the job. a little bit of an easier Avenue, I think, or we're hoping it might be an easier Avenue yeah. than that, but there is no secret yeah. sauce, right? One of, one of my guys, the first start of my pit crew, um, I was sitting next to his girlfriend at the time, and he was like, are you Greg Ives, the one that races in the newspaper? I'm like, 
yeah, that's me, <laughs> you know? And it's like, my, my uh, boyfriend would really love to come help you on the car. And, you know, I, I was like, sure, be at the shop at this time and, and we'll have them do something. Well, the first time I hand him some rents, I said, hey, go nut and bolt the car. He came back out and he said, every, every bolt is loose. And I was like, turn it the other way, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it starts as basic oh, as yeah. that, yeah. right? Learning he, what a 916th wrench is. Yeah. So, you know, just understanding, but the, the want to do it is something that you can do something with. And I was able to teach him how to nut and bolt the car and jack the car up and, you know, give him confidence to even work on his own stuff. And um, that's where it starts. But if, if you can have all the knowledge and none of the want and doesn't, it doesn't yeah. help. Good point. When I know we're going to talk about this Darlington paint scheme, but this was a late model that you ran, and you were talking about running a red and uh, white number car. When did you start running a paint scheme that was blue and is that pink? No, that's uh, seafoam and grapefruit. Got it. I stand corrected. Seafoam and grapefruit, <laughs> just straight out of the Crayola box. <laughs> did it? Did it have this little uh, highlight, this accent right so, here on the A post? So if you look at uh, one of the side profiles of the picture, yeah. you see the roll bar. Oh yeah, yeah and it has yeah, a okay, red yeah, roll right, bar. Right. So that's 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 the accent of the very roll nice, bar right there, nice. right, Dale? All right, that is that is correct. <laughs> yeah. So so what was the story behind that late model? So after the red and black and red and white car, you know, very, very distinct uh, paint schemes I had there. Um, the, the car, like I said, was a little older, didn't have the adjustability I thought in it. I, I needed to, to be better or, or to learn about cars. I was thinking, how can I adjust the roll center on this fifth design? How? And Gene Coleman from Coleman Racing Products and his son Dickie had this car and his, said that we just put it together. Um, we're going to go a different direction with the car. Um, you know, why don't you come look at it? So I went and looked at it, and it's probably, at that point, the m most impressive race car I've ever seen. You know, like, rivets were spaced properly. Interior was nice and white. You know, it, it was a great-looking race car, and um, I wanted it. And, you know, my dad was like, hey, pay half of it, and I'll, we'll get it. At the time, it was painted that color. Uh, Dickie Coleman, I like different color greens and and stuff like that. And at the time he was like, just consider, you know, keeping the paint color. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure. So, um, we ended up buying the car and did put, you sell your other car? Uh, we kept it. You kept it. Yeah. We kept just, it just because, yeah, we just didn't yeah. know. Uh, Probably. my brother ran it a couple more times. Mm -hmm. And once it got to the point where I was like, okay, we're moving on from that car. We, we eventually sold it to, uh, a friend and and they raced it. How much did you pay for this guy? I car? paid ten thousand dollars for it. That ain't bad. No, it's a good deal. Turnkey, ready to roll. What? Yeah, less motor. With motor. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn, that's a good deal. Yeah. What would you pay for that car today? <laughs> probably a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> the motor was. It was definitely the motor worth alone's it. worth ten grand. Yeah, it was probably worth fifteen. But um, you know, Gene and and Dicky did a, a lot for my career, yeah. and as far as you know, giving me a start and. Um, never always believing that I was going to make it, but believing that I had, had the right desire. First laps in that car, the sensation rolling center and all that versus the car you've been racing. Oh years. yeah. Much, much, much different. Mm. I mean, from a, and that the best feeling. Well, it, it was more that the Himes were tight. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but I'm, so 
I had a late model stock car and didn't know anything about bump steer, raced it for a year, and somebody taught me how to bump steer it and sat down with me and did it. And I took it back to the track, and I was blown away by how much better it went through. the. I'd never drove the middle of the corner like this. Yeah. And so, like, when you get a new car, if you're a driver, like, you cannot wait to go to the racetrack and roll the center or feel, drive the car through the corner. You cannot wait when you get a brand new car. When you get a new crew chief, yeah. same thing. Like it may take, like if you switch crew chiefs in the middle of the season, it takes a little bit of time, right, to, for his ideas and his setup and his nose, his front clip and all that stuff to, evaluate, to, to sort of transition into your car. But if you, you get a new crew chief in off season, which me and you yeah. started working together in uh, 2015, you, as a driver, you're like, heck yeah. This is going to be, he's got different ideas, new way of doing things. Car's going to drive different, right? For better or worse, it's going to be different. And I can't wait to try it out. So you get this new car and you go through the corner. What was, how, how much better was it? What did it feel like? It would. Did so, you have drive, better drive off? Yeah. So better left front grip? So the, the track I went to that first time there was uh, WIR and it's a big half mile, really fast, wow. bumpy, a lot, yeah. lot of content to it. And the last time I ran that red car was kind of the same spot. So, yeah, it was, it was more or less just I, ha I was heard a lot less noise. The throttle pedal was a lot smoother. Uh, the brakes had, you know, really good stopping. You know, they didn't have three inches of travel before it, it stopped because <laughs> yeah. I had four piston calipers versus, you know, the GM1 piston. Um, it just I felt like I could just drive the car harder and it stick better. Um, so... And then, you know, I didn't realize that I was developed skew or moving trailing arms until I, I, I went from the red car to the, the uh, seafoam car. Yeah. Because, you know, the trailing arm himes were really loose <laughs> in the red car just because I didn't know any better. I didn't know what a car was supposed to feel like. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to, to work with that car. And, um, you know, I was sad when... I crashed it. Yeah. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. We get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to ask him about the skew. So, skew and housings. Are you t are you saying that y'all were skewing housings some back then? Changing well, to, I'm, to I'm, help out? Without me even knowing it, you know, the the three quarter Himes on the on the left rear had had uh, quite a bit of play in them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, didn't really need to skew housing back then, but <laughs> it uh, it was a unnatural. Uh, unintended consequence of not wanting to buy a $35 Heim. Right. So how do you, how does this car run for you? How long do you race it before you crashed it? So I ran that paint scheme one year, that whole car two years, and uh, I ended up crashing it in a Mars race. Uh, it was a big race because um, uh, the throttle hung on it. How did you r run those two years? I, I ran fairly well. Uh, had it had some fast times. Um won some B features, ran mid-pack on, on the A features. Um, I was not st stellar in it, but I, I did learn a lot, yeah. that's for sure. Is it better than – did it perform better yeah, it, overall? It, yeah, it did. It performed a lot better than the, the right car for Had sure. the throttle stick. So uh, I had a throttle stop on it, and the throttle stop came loose and rotated and caught the caught the throttle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, a common, it's a common thing amongst all – Late models, street stocks, mod modifieds is, you know, you, you build a bolt with a pad on it. Never use a square pad, that's for sure. That's what I had. And it rotated down, and on the back of the, the throttle where they were resting, they kind of mated with each other. 
the wrong way and got caught behind the throttle. So what happened? I uh, went off the racetrack. I hit two foam blocks uh, that were in front of two uke tires, and it shot me up in the air. I did a pirouette in the air, uh, and and 360 landed on my right front halo bar and back on all four with the engine running about 10 grand. (laughs) As I woke up, um, I shut it off. Oh. So. Destroyed? Uh, destroyed, yep. So what was it bit the roll bit the it bent the roll bar, uh center, center section. section mm-hmm. Um basically the whole right front corner of the car. So So what'd you do? Um I called uh Kevin Beyer, who had uh uh just a bare frame uh, of the same car that I had. It was painted pink <laughs> and uh called him up, picked up the, the chassis and uh, was racing the next week, stripped everything down, went through the motor, put it all back together, and painted it and came out, raced it. How in, how interesting is that today for you to – because so you you got the chassis, stripped it down, put this, put this car back together, new chassis, put the body on it, and we're racing the next weekend. I don't know. I mean, I don't run short track, so I don't, I don't know that guys do it like that anymore – but we would, you know, I'd crash my my car and bend the front clip, and we'd get we'd strip it down, take it, and get the clip changed, and back to the shop and put it back together and be racing it. I mean, we you did it because you had it had to, right? If you're yep. going to race that weekend, that was your car, that was your only shot. How interesting is that today, where you could, to turn a car around that fast? I mean, we don't take cars, we don't take the same car to the racetrack every weekend, even if you really wanted to. Right. Yeah. It 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 was uh, a lot of late nights. That's for sure. And you know that's one thing about the racing community, though. Like whenever you have some hardship, or you know they saw me as a young kid, you know trying to make it, and then a devastating crash. Um, you know we didn't have a ton of money, uh, but we loved to race. And it it you saw the community rise up. Hey, I got a chassis if you need to. Mm. Um, hey, you know if you want us to look at your motor or, or check it out just have it out and down to us and that's what that's what i saw more or less uh out of the racing community you know from everybody at norway to guys that you know i might have controversy with they were willing to help and you you see that from you know grassroots racing all the way up to cup you know so you bought this car in 1998 yep i was racing in the xfinity series didn't know who gray guys was isn't it crazy to think about how how our lives were in two separate almost two separate worlds at that particular time. And you haven't even gone to college at that point, right? You were probably 18. I was, that was then my next question. Like, when is when is college happening? So I graduated high school in 98. All right. Yeah. So so do, how much – are you racing and going to college? Yep. yep, I'm doing both. So – and working. And working a job. I'm working at the auto store. Uh, yeah, working at, uh, at my parents. And when I was in school, I was working at either a UPS as a mechanic um, – I was the primary mechanic or, or contract. UPS delivery? Yep. You're working on trucks, the brown yep. trucks? Yep. So that was my night job from 7 to 4 in the morning. So it was, it was a lot you of work. You worked from 7 at night to 4 in the morning, and then what did you do during the day? I went to school from 8 to 5. And then what, when did you sleep? I rarely did. <laughs> <laughs> on weekends, I guess. Yeah, Sundays. So, would you drink coffee? I mean, had you? No, I didn't drink man, coffee. I, I know. Nothing. I didn't think you were a coffee drinker. No. That's crazy, man. It's just I don't, I don't know. I guess when you're young and and have yeah. have some tor- some type of uh, thing you're going after, it's easy. You talk about the upper upper peninsula. What it, describe what that is? The upper peninsula, you know, like I said, a lot of small towns, a lot of 
close-knit uh, communities. Uh, and, you know, it's almost like Earnhardt to the NASCAR uh, community. It's kind of like Ives was to Bark River or the Rays. You know, you have a lot of last names and, and, and a lot of people that represent that last name in these small towns and communities. And your your integrity, your character is easily either, you know, spread in a good way or a bad way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, was, I grew up in a very uh, Christian home with morals that uh, you, you didn't disobey. Um, you listened when you were spoken to and uh, spoke when you needed to. And uh, so that, that's, that's, I would say, best represents uh, upper Penin- the Upper Peninsula and the, the town I grew up in. What's the nickname for upper the people from the upper youpers uh, youpers <laughs> what is that I, you told I, me what that you started you, uh, you're the first person i ever heard use that <laughs> nickname and i don't i don't where does that come from yeah just up is is the you yeah. know acronym for upper peninsula and then youpers i, yeah. I don't know that's interesting like yeah. finlandiers or i don't know <laughs> finlanders i googled bark river and the things that come up when you google bark river is Hunting, knives, and off-road racing. Yep. Is that basically you, it? Were you zero for three on all those as far as interest? Um, basically. <laughs> well, I, I we did hunt, uh, and and we hunt uh, for food. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not for antlers. And uh, my w- mom reminded me several times on opening day if we didn't come home with a deer, she couldn't eat the antlers. So, um, <laughs> you know, we processed our own meat, and and you know, we had had a garden processed our own you know vegetables and all that stuff too. So we had a big picnic table, not the size of this, but close. That hey, when it when it was time, we we were uh, processing deer. All right, so he is a youper then. I just yeah. I didn't know if he, he's a youper now. Yeah. I can I can tell. Yeah. So <laughs> when do you start to um, what? How, how help me understand when you start to the driving part starts to become like what how do you decide that you're not going to drive I, th- I think it really comes down to you know the effort level to drive to work on it to go to school um you know to put yourself through college you know I, I was, i'm proud of the fact that i left college with zero debt never took a loan out paid it all myself and you know that takes a lot of hard work and um ultimately it comes down to a decision to grow up and mm. um you know, my my driving career was okay, um, but I couldn't go to WIR or Plover or these other traveling tracks and compete for wins. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I came to the realization that, you know, I have to do something different. Um, I can either continue to put money into racing and driving and, and stay in my hometown and not venture out to be a doctor or to be a great engineer. Engineering jobs around Barker weren't prevalent. Um and, you know, ultimately I knew I wanted to get into racing at some point. Right. So, um, yeah, and, and I just made that decision when I graduated and I lost the championship that year that it was time for me to kind of move on. So you came close to winning the track championship, right, or you're, you're, you're having a, that, that type of season, decided that at the end of that year you were not driving anymore. You stopped driving. No more driving. No, I, I drove one, one time a year. Maybe. One time a year for how long? Is About three, four three years. Three, four years. Yep. And whose car was that? Just different people's cars. Yeah. So the the guy I actually lost the championship to Julie and Jamie Iverson. They gave me opportunities in their car just um, to scratch the itch. Yeah, just to scratch the itch. And what did you do with your your blue car? 
Your green uh, car. Uh, your seahorse car. Your seahorse car. Well, that yeah. one was gone. I, that what? was I sold that one. And the, who did you sell it to? The pink chassis. Uh, um, his name was Art Cussell. What did so he do with it? He he ran it for a while and then and he sold it. So huh. yeah, just you know. Just, Don't you want to know where it's at? Not really. No. Really? God, man! I, I wish I had everything I ever touched. Right. I, I mean, I wish I did too, but. I got too much other things to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Where your late model? I do. I do have my uh, late model that I almost won the championship. When you're a when you're a a practicing surgeon and you've got a you know 15 car garage. Yeah, you're gonna wish you had four of those with race cars. Your old chassis stuck in. Yeah, like I said, the one after this car, um, I uh, I have sitting in at at my house right now, just ready to get redone. So Mm. what? Yeah. Say again. I'm waiting to get it redone. What you car? Know? My my late model. My Your last one? My last late model. Really? So, yep. so you have that car? I have well, that that's, car. That's quite cool. Basically I think you the, showed it to me. Yeah. Basically, that way it came off the racetrack. Yeah. So, um, it's in your basement. Yep. You decided you're done driving. Did you fin- and you still got some school to finish? Nope. Or are I, you graduating at the same time? So, finished uh, racing in September or graduated in December? And you graduated and had, did you have a plan? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a plan. Um, so it really started my last semester in college. My family had a family reunion at Shaky Lakes. My girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, Jessica, she's like, let's go to the family reunion. I'm like, no, we got to go up to college and I got to get my, you know, stuff ready and to go and she's like uh you must be embarrassed to to show me off to your family i'm like mm. uh, i guess we're going to family reunion <laughs> and uh when we were there my dad's cousin was there and his son-in-law was the front end mechanic on the 24 car uh his name was paul chrisman and uh they called him roly i gave my resume to my dad's cousin ken uh leeson and what was he, on it it was uh basically my racing career um, you know, how long I raced and how well or bad I did, however you want to put it. Um, the fact that I worked at my dad's shop since 11 years old. Uh, so I was a mechanic and then ultimately, uh, my, college education. my college edu- education. What was your, what is, what about your college education was preparing you to work in motorsports? Uh, the fact that I had a paper that said I graduated as engineer, I'd say. Yeah. Mm. So but, what type of, so if I go take your, if I go through your course, like, what are you learning? Well, you're learning 3D modeling. You're learning uh, different types about materials and and just the the basic function of organization and 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 setting up your day and planning and mm-hmm. those type of things. Um, ultimately, me being a racer, I think was attractive to to them wanting me to come down in some fashion. You know, engineering was great, but yeah. uh, I think the the racing side of me really prepared me more than the engineering side so you got the resume to your to the guy right did, when's does the phone ring do they call you or yeah they did right away yeah oh uh, not right away it was probably probably october a month month and a half later oh okay so, what, what year did you graduate uh college was 2003 so you your phone rings are you home do you get the call um i i did get the call um it was at our shop um where we had the mechanic Who business. Who was it they called? Uh, Brian Weitzel. Yeah. Yeah, Brian Weitzel <laughs> called. Is Greg yeah. Ives there? I Yeah, sure. I talked to him. He's, he said he was interested in 
me coming to work there at Hendrick Motorsports. Hmm. And I almost hung out the phone. Oh, why? I just, you don't know what to say at that point. And um, asked if I could be in in uh, North Carolina. And uh, Like when? Like, could, could you be here tomorrow? Yeah, like tomorrow. Yeah. I was like, sure. And I just drove down and, and interviewed with uh, Brian and Chad and Robbie Loomis. You, I think I got about 10 minutes with each, all of them. Individually? No, all together. Oh, Oh, that's it. <laughs> you sat down and talked to him for 10 minutes. Yep. What'd they ask you? Just, you know, what my background was, you know, what yep. makes me better than some other kid's resume. What do you and, think helped land the job for you? Uh, the fact that I had a uh, mechanic ability, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I could come in at a lower level and work my way up versus, you know, thinking I needed to be in there as an engineer. I think, you know, my, my whole goal was, you know, Give me an opportunity. Uh, I won't let let you forget it. Sure, you know, uh, or regret it. Yeah. Did they tell you what you were interviewing for? They no. So they you actually didn't know. Didn't know. They're just interviewing, and you know, obviously, potentially, I think it was just an interview. Like I think Brian looked at the resume and saw, hey, here's an interesting See who this guy. Is yeah, yeah. There's three check marks that we like in this kid, and let's get him down here. And if he's a if if it's a joke, then yeah. we won't so, talk to them. So the interview is you know lasts less than a half an hour. You walk around the shop at all, or you go back to your car. Just back went to back the to the car, car. then go and home. Then drove back home. Drove home. Seventeen hours. Jesus. So so you weren't you were there in town less than an hour. Yeah. And you drove all the way back home. What are you thinking on that drive home? Uh how cool that was. Really? You know, like so you're in a great spirit. Yeah. How yeah. cool it was just to you know. Like I said, 16 years old, I said I was going to work at Hendrick Motorsports, yeah. and here I am driving back or to an interview. You know? I think so. over the period of a 17-hour drive home, I would have had and lost a job about 17 <laughs> times. I'd have been like in a, in a roller coaster of emotions, calling friends with excitement, then calling my sister or girlfriend crying because this is not going to work. Uh, luckily, I didn't have a cell phone till <laughs> I got the job at Good. Hendrick. Oh, Jesus. And yeah, how long really? ago did they... When did you get the job? Uh, it wasn't until uh, middle of March. You didn't have a cell phone. Middle of March. You just glossing right over that one? <laughs> it's 2003. I guess you're right, right? By now, at least you have one of those big old block cell phones, right? Everybody that's <laughs> listening to this is going, wait, 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 wait cell wait, phone. Wait, wait, Forget the job. You didn't have a cell phone. No, no. I didn't have a cell <laughs> phone. Just didn't need it. Didn't care to want one. Yeah, didn't care to do. I mean, back then, they were just, like, push to talk was about the coolest thing about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, push to talk. <laughs> well, I mean, that was about the only thing going on in 2003. It wasn't like you were had, there were no apps. No. It, you know it I mean? was, <laughs> yeah. That's about the coolest thing going on with cell phones. <laughs> All right, so uh, you drove home. How do you, what's the next thing that happens? Phone call again? So I just continue to either go back to school or work and, and kind of, you know, send some updates here and there. What do you um, mean send updates? What like like email Brian, hey, you know, like just want to know if, you know, getting ready to do start, start interviewing with engineering companies because I'm going to graduate in December yes. and mm-hmm. I'm going to have to pack my car up. Yeah, am I moving be- home to live with mom and dad yeah. or and work at the shop or am I, am I going to Hendrick Motorsports, you know? And, um, you know, Brian was gracious enough to always email me back right away and said, hey, we... We're we're definitely looking at opportunities, but we just don't have openings right now. Yeah. And wow! All right. So, when did the fi- when did they finally? So uh, when did that change? Well, Daytona 
500 came weekend, speed weeks, and 2004 came. Brian called me and said, hey, if you're going to be in Daytona, why don't you come meet the team? Were you going to be in Daytona? No. <laughs> Not at all. Why did I, was, I even assume you were going to be in Daytona? I wonder. I was working. At, I was working at the shop or UPS. And um, hey, yeah. man, why, if you're in, why you're down here in Daytona? Just swing on by. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's like, yeah. If you're if you're down here, just swing on in. I'll I'll, I'll get you in. You guys can. You know, it's easy easy day. It was. Um, it, I think it was a Thursday. You know, it was going to yeah, be yeah, a qualifying yeah. day or a qualifying week. You know, so. He's like, well, if you're here, we'll get you in. And I wasn't there. I was in uh, Upper Michigan, uh, Barker, Gladstone area. And I went to my brother's, took a shower, um, put on the cleanest clothes I had, and drove 24 hours straight to Daytona. Jeez. So I, I showed up. And in, in, meanwhile, I didn't have Google apps or directions. or I was sure. the Atlas and yeah. printed out uh, the, the directions and drove straight to New Smyrna Speedway. I figured... If I got there, I would at least know somebody, you know, that was racing and uh, um, slept in the parking lot. And, what? Uh, yeah, slept in the parking lot in the car. Uh, when the gates opened at New Smyrna, I walked through the, the pits and I came across Ryan Matthews uh, hauler because he had a Wisconsin plate on it. I said, hey, I'll be down here for uh, a couple of days. If you need help, I'll be here to help. And mm. uh, I did go to a Nextel store. And I bought one of those <laughs> push to talks yeah. because I was like, how are they going to get a hold of me right. if I'm down here? And uh, I called Brian on that and he's like, hey, why don't you come on over to the Speedway? Uh, Mary will get you in, you know, past the guards and uh, you can come meet the team. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So wow. you, you go over to the track and meet the team. Yep. It was a 24 team. Um, Steve Berg told me to get out of the way. Yeah, I imagine that. You know, Stevie was the the car chief, and Jeff Mendering was the front end mechanic, and uh, they just they're work, working on the the front fender because uh, as Jeff was leaving the pits, Casey Kane was coming in. They made contact, and they were trying to work on the car. But you know, everybody was gracious to say hi, and and I was there for about fifteen minutes and left. Did, did you meet Jeff? No. Did you care? I mean, when you were talking about Hendrick Motorsports when you're 16 years old, my assumption is that you are a Jeff fan. I, I was a that Jeff. Would, that would have been about 1995 when he's won a championship. Yeah, yeah I, I was a Jeff Gordon fan. I have pictures of me with a you know a Dupont shirt. And, okay, uh, in the pits at Michigan Speedway, and uh, you know I, I was a Jeff fan, but I wasn't a fanatic. You weren't fan. a fanboy. No, I, yeah, I, I never you. got his autograph. Never right. cared. Before you leave. The track? Are you hoping that gets something out of Brian that tells you that this might be? Yeah, I was kind of hoping for maybe a little more, but he was kind of like, "Hey, I want you to meet the guys to see if they like you, right?" Oh, and, really? Yeah. You know, it kind of, you know, it's it's more than just what yeah. I think. It's about what those guys think, and uh, ultimately, I I talked to some of them. They were nice. I answered questions and and uh, left. And then you went and messed around New Smyrna for a couple nights. Yep. And then you went home. Then I drove straight back home with my car packed from college. I wasn't moving home. <laughs> I was going somewhere. So where'd you go? Well, I went back home, yeah. but um, I mean, eventually. You weren't, you weren't sure at that point. I wasn't unloading the car. Yeah. Right. And then what happened? I mean, what, when do we, when does Brian finally got stop this madness? Uh, it was uh, March 19th. It was a Friday. Gave me a call and said, hey, we'd like you to come to work. Where for, are you at? I was at the shop. Yep. Working. So we're talking about roughly a month later, right? Yeah. 
Okay. Golly. And he said, uh, we like to come to work at Hendrick Motorsports. It's not an engineering position. It's an entry-level post-race mechanic. Doesn't come with much pay. And I said, great, I'll start tomorrow. He's like, whoa, whoa, that's Saturday. I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe Monday then. <laughs> so you've made the decision. You're going down to North Carolina. Yep. Got your car packed. What do you tell your girlfriend? I told her I'm going. I actually, I don't even know are, if I called her. Y'all, well, well, she's your wife. You did, you had, you did something she, right. Yeah. yeah. So what? how does she, like, we'll get to that, I guess. So you don't, you just, you're going. I'm going. Did you go down there Saturday? Yep. I got down there uh, about one o'clock Saturday afternoon, went to the dry apartments over in Concord, said I need a apartment. They said they only have the studio apartment for X amount. I said, great. Perfect. Perfect. So that's where you were. That's where I was. Start work on Monday. Start work on Monday, day after uh, Jimmy Johnson won Darlington. How hmm. was working there right out of the gate? Uh, it was, you know, it was definitely different because, um, you know, being more of an introvert myself and not, you know, I kind of kept to myself a lot, right. you know, and, and just head down and digging. I didn't, I didn't really know any other way. Um, it kind of ruffles some people's feathers that, you know, I would just stay working. You know, mm. hey man, it's break time. Hey, it's lunch, and and I just keep working, but I I didn't know what to do, you know. And uh, the post race de- department, uh, you know, had Charlie Langenstein and Wade Serviston in it, and they helped guide me a little bit on, you know, hey, put the wrenches down and you yeah. know go talk to them or right. you know like oh yeah get, yeah, yeah. get some personality, you know. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Who was your boss? Like, who's your actual immediate boss at that time? Uh, it was Charlie Langenstein, as far as in the post-race room. Okay. Yeah. And then who did he report to? I think it was Ron Thiel. Man. Okay. And then Some it dudes. was Brian, yeah. Brian White. Yeah. Yeah. Th- and then to, eventually to White. Yeah. Like yeah. you weren't reporting to a crew chief. No, no, no crew chief at that point. I got you. So now he's in, in the door at yeah. Hendrick. That's pretty, you know, I, I wanted to go through that so detailed because that's, that's like everybody's dream, right? That's like everybody's, if you're a mechanic or, you know, outside of being a race car driver, that's sort of how it works, right? That's how much that's how much you have to dedicate to making it happen. You got to spend the nights in your car. You got to drive the seventeen and twenty four hour trips uh, just for that fifteen minute interview or that five minutes to talk to the guys at the track. You and every. It's not easier for anyone, right? Mm. It's, that's that's the route. These yep. people, we were sitting right next door to the, the NASCAR Tech Institute, where there's hundreds of kids over there going through those classes, thinking that somehow they're going to find that opportunity, right? And even with that background and, and technical assistance and knowledge, there's still that want to, right? That yep. that passion that you talk about, where you really have to be willing to do whatever, right? And it's so impressive to hear that story from you. And I think a lot of people can appreciate it and appreciate you. So I was I didn't know that you started that low down the pipe at Hendrick. You know, when we first started communicating and and it was over fantasy football, uh, we had a little league in 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 Hendrick Motorsports and you were the lead engineer, I believe, at the time yep. for Chad. Yep. So how do you get from teardown post race guy to Lead engineer. Yeah, definitely uh, a lot of doors open really quickly. Really? Um, you know, post-race was a, a really great foundation for me to understand the race cars and 
just just to go about the knowledge of these cars were so much different than the super late models that I had idea of racing's the same but um so I really enjoyed that but uh you know the I started to just volunteer my time on the setup plate for the 24 car and uh with Robert Deering who now is the lead guy in scheduling at Hendrick. But key, word, key thing there to take away from that is you volunteered your time yep. to this other position, right? This other this other place to be able to 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 mm-hmm. learn more, right? Yeah. When when you know basically hours were done, I would you know Robert would still be working on the plate, and I'd go over there. And the first time I went to help him, he's like, "What do you want?" I'm like, "I want to learn how to set up cars." He goes, "I don't have time for that." I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, well, I'll just watch then." Yeah. yeah. So I just kind of stand over and watch and look at the car and <laughs> all the guys that like do that work that type of work like yeah. the setup plate the, the guys that don't travel the post-race guys are typically quiet grumpy yeah keep they got that they're in that position because they want to be in that position where they don't have to mess with anybody and they don't have to have this you know blooming personality it feels like robert g yeah, over very here, similar right? so he uh I, I i must have really warmed up to him because <laughs> uh, he started to let me take notes for him mm-hmm. So, you know, he's like, well, if you're going to be here bothering me, you might as well at least help me. So You creep. Yeah. (laughs) So I started to take notes for him, and then I knew I really made it when I set the center line of the car with the string and the plumb bob and all that stuff. I got to do the front, and I was like, I made it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's like like an entry into the the room, the room of trust. But from that that point, (laughs) like, you know, he he accepted me to help him more and more. And uh, the next year, he was – they wanted me to be a setup assistant Mm -hmm. for the 24, and I was supposed to help Robert because I grew on Robert, and he kind of liked me. And – but – what they didn't tell me was Robert was moving up and I was taking over mm. for him. And that kind of, that was a surprising meeting when they announced it in the, in the break room. Where so you're like, Whoa, yeah, is- I was like, now I go from setup assistant to the man setting up Jeff Gordon's race cars, going to Daytona 500, the Las Vegas test, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Then I started reporting to Robbie Loomis. Gotcha. So how was that experience it, working with Robbie and, and working on the rainbow car? Yeah. Robbie was, uh, pretty chill guy. Yeah. Um, you know, Steve was, our, Latart was our uh, car chief and all the guys were great. They they like to joke and make fun, but they also wanted you to succeed. So I remember the first time I talked to Robbie, we're going to the Las Vegas test and he had me set up like six different spindles and, and geometries and all that stuff. And I had everything, you know, buttoned up where all they had to do was look at a sheet and bump steered and, you know, made it so easy for them. And they came back from the, did you guys try anything? Nah, we're never going to try anything. We always run these spindles, yeah. you know? So it, it was a lot of fun, though. So where do you go from there? How do you end up getting the engineer seat? Chad kind of saw some of the that what I've been doing and working. and. So Chad is that kind of guy. Yeah. Like, and, and maybe I look at it differently. You know the organization much better than I do. But I, in my mind, Chad, Chad assembles, when he was a crew chief, you worked under him. You worked for yeah. him. You tell me whether this is right or wrong. But Chad would assemble his team and always thinking, right, always thinking, like, I got the best guy right here. I got the best guy right here. And he's always out looking for better guys. And he would, like, see him, like, like Greg's pretty good. I need him over here. Yep. This will be an upgrade for this spot. I'm doing it. And he'll take – you know, he would, he would take from anywhere that he thought he needed – 
to you know if it's going to be an upgrade and an improvement he would he would take that you know like yeah. take you from that spot and not think twice thinking about it without yeah. thinking about it. that was he was so like tenacious yeah as a as a crew chief and and the year before they asked me to be the 24 engineer out of post race and i i told brian i was like brian i'm not ready like yeah. he's like what do you mean you're not ready for it i was like i need to lo- know how to set these cars up i need i need to know the guys better if you put me on the road as a race engineer it, it's not i'm not setting myself up for success nor the race team but yeah i i feel like after the two years of being in the shop and, and growing with the guys i felt i was ready and that was the same thing chad was like hey i want you to be a race engineer for me i was like great where do i sign you know, because mm. I felt like that was my next step. And Were you he, the lead or, or the lead, lead right guy. away? Yeah, there wasn't the second, third. They didn't have them then. They had one guy. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was like, "Great, where do I sign?" He goes, "Don't you want to talk to your wife first? I was like, "Nah, she'll she'll be good." <laughs> and I got I got home, <laughs> and she was crying. I was like, "Man, somebody already told her the news." And I was like, "I, I have great news." She goes, "I have news too." And I, I was like. She's oh, like, what's it. yours? And I, mm-hmm. I, I said, I'm going to go travel with the 48 guys as lead engineer. I was like, what's yours? She says, I'm pregnant. So, <laughs> Wow. Same day. Same day. Same day. Her news was bigger. Yeah, her news was way bigger. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, I have a great wife who un- understands the, the path that I w- was on. And, you know, I always tell them that I was pretty selfish with my career, but... Y'all have a y'all have a fun uh, relationship. Yeah, you know, spending time with y'all. You talk about how you're the introvert and the shy guy, and yep. and don't don't like to don't like this. You know, brag on yourself too much, and she's sort of the one that picks up your slack. Yeah, yeah, she uh, definitely she's has a little a, lightning bolt. Yep, his whole family's funny because they like I always used to love when you worked here. I love how your family would be your hardest critics. Yeah. And if you did not, if you came home and you had not won the race, your kids especially yeah. would be like, you know, what, what was the deal, yeah. dad? And, and, and so I always just got a kick out of that. Has that changed at all? No, not at all. They're still very hard yeah. on you. Yeah, especially Peyton, the oldest one. She, she doesn't. Uh, I was always nervous around her. Yeah. She was going to be too hard on me. <laughs> yeah. Was she, she really? Well, she's, she's just honest. Very honest. Yeah. <laughs> very honest. Honest and, 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 and I would, yeah. Well, you honest. you won a couple of weeks ago, so did you get some praise from Peyton and, and the fam? Uh, she uh, texted me, did you pass tech? <laughs> <laughs> so even the kids are worried about tech. Maybe she's ex- you know, yeah, she ready to celebrate. Me, and then uh, I said, yes. She goes, okay, good job. Yeah. I can t- that's totally, that's there. not that tough, actually. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's not. I don't know. I want to hug. <laughs> everybody's nervous about tech, Mike, even yeah. the kids. <laughs> yeah, but but by that point when they're having that conversation, he's past tech. Yeah, and and still just a good job. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was. I think I was more proud of you then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the kids were definitely proud, but you know, Peyton keeps it keeps it real. Everybody kind of, not everybody knows everything else that happened beyond that point. But you worked as the engineer for Chad. Y'all won. I don't know how many championships with Jimmy. Five. Um, five. Yeah. Together. In a uh, row. In a row, right? <laughs> something I believe, something that I always say will never be beaten. You know, we thought that three in a row by Kale back in the 70s wouldn't be topped, but I'm pretty sure that Jimmy's five is going to stick forever. If anyone were to break that, there's there's probably some serious uh, parity issues in our sport at that particular point. But I think that uh, you got an opportunity 
how did that happen? So refresh my memory on how you got the opportunity to come to Junior Motorsports to crew chief for Chase. And how that how did Chad ex- take that <laughs> take that conversation to Chad with him about coming here? Well, you know, uh it was 2006 was my first race with Chad. Uh, my last one was 2012, so there's a lot of different contract options that come with that. Uh, the first year I was just kind of on a, Hey, you're going to trial period, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, after that I got some contracts and on my last one, I kind of mentioned to Chad, like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking to go about my next, uh, venture, you know, being a crew chief, wherever, you know, Hendrick motorsports, junior motorsports, Hendrick affiliation allows me. And obviously crew chiefing is, uh, Every, every time you try to take a step, you have less opportunity, right? So I knew it was going to be difficult, and I was going to have to probably wait. Um, but I wanted him to train me like a crew chief, not train me like his engineer. Mm. Um, so letting him know that um, and, and the goals that I had in mind allowed him to, you know, for us to do it the proper way. About middle of the, uh, the final year of 2012, you know, there, there was sense that I, I, I was really wanting to do the crew chiefing deal and, um, didn't know really where to look or, and, and I think it got out and a lot of people were contacting me about crew chiefing. And my number one thing is I work for Hendrick Motorsports and I will till I retire. Um, that's my ultimate goal and that's what I've always wanted to do. Um, so I'm loyal to him, number one. And that, that was my main focus. Like, Hey, if I got to wait two years, have to wait three years. And, and Chad was wanting to keep me on board with Hendrick Moore sports and offered me, a a, a contract to do, um, like head up the engineering department. And I really didn't want to not travel. I wanted to be a crew chief and, and that kind of was a little rough, um, patch for us. Um, him potentially thinking I wanted to leave and, you know, maybe not trusting me as enough in, in my, my, uh, my real goals. And, and so it, it was a little tough for us for probably a couple of weeks. And finally, Mr. H and, and, uh, Chad and I just sat down and talked about it. And, um, and Mr. H is like, so you're, you don't want to leave Hendrick Motorsports. says, absolutely not. He said, well, would you sign that contract saying you're going to commit to Hendrick Motorsports? Absolutely. I signed it. And after we, broke from that meeting, I went to Mr. H and said, I will, you know, I'll stay loyal to this company and, and I want to be a crew chief, but it's not worth leaving Hendrick Motorsports. And he said, I appreciate that honesty and, uh, you know, we'll work on something. Mm-hmm. So, so how did, how did the nine deal with Chase so, Turner? Uh, we went up, uh, ended up, I was here in 2013 right, with Regan, with Regan. Yeah. Oh, that's Before right. Chase. Yeah. So, you know, there was, you know, some movement and, 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 you know. How did that happen? With Regan? Yeah. I forgot. Well, I mean, go ahead. You answer it. Well, um, it was surprising to me, too, you know, because <laughs> uh, one day Mr. H calls me into his Oval Office, and I either think I'm getting fired or, or something else is going on, and he, he just said, we'd like you to go crew chief for Regan Smith at Junior Motorsports. And just like that. Just basically as easy and simple as that. Wasn't Greg one of the first of the crew chiefs to start coming over yes. here? I mean, like yes. that, we, we started, we had the affiliation with Hendrick Motorsports yeah. that was 
primarily drivers and maybe a few crew members. But this was the first of the era in which crew chiefs, they were going to start sending over to see if they, had, you know, size them up again, yeah. see if they had it. The way I, way I saw the relationship was we benefited far more from having the relationship with Hendrick Motorsports than they benefited from the relationship. We would uh, we were getting uh, chassis engineering support, and we were sort of the place where they could they could farm their drivers. Mm-hmm. So we were getting these good Landing talented castle, yeah. and, you know, yeah. and and that in turn, that in turn motivated Hendrick to you know make sure the motors had good power. You right, keep up with the Joneses on that side of things, and so we were benefiting a lot because everything that they everything they were doing was helping our performance where we were really repaying that favor equally. We, we, you know, they were able to run, you know, over the wall guys through our, through our, uh, through our operation as far as getting them reps on Saturday or trying, trying a new jack man on, you know, on our cars that might potentially take over on the cup side as, as the sort of, you know, the A and the B squad started developing in, in the, um, in the over the wall uh, stuff. So when I told I told Kelly at one point, I said we really need to figure out a way to be a bigger asset. I always felt like now this is just me talking. You don't have to come out and comment here, uh, but I always thought that Chad didn't like the connection with Hendrick Motorsports and Junior Motorsports, and felt like that we we were sometimes maybe even a nuisance, a, a bother, right? Chad's always looking at the big picture of like how does how does how does how do we win cup races? How do we win championships? How does HMS be the dominant force in in that and that's what all that mattered, right? And this Xfinity team that's sort of tugging at the pant leg, me, hey daddy, I need this. Hey daddy, I need that. That's kind of the way I felt like we were looked at by Chad and some of the more critical or important people in that organization. And I was like, we gotta find a way to where we are an asset. And how can we turn ourselves into something that HMS sees value in, right? And so, yeah, you and you, you as a crew chief coming down and being a place where they could keep you in the family, right? But let you do that, have that experience uh, was was amazing for us. It started. It's you, you know, after that, after you, there's been several other guys. Jason Burdett and Kevin Meandering and several other people that have came here. Travis Mack. They don't always stay in the family, but this is an opportunity for HMS to keep them in the family while they try to get uh, more experience as crew chiefs until that opportunity at the cup level at, at HMS opens up for people like it did for you. Yep. And they've started to see the value in, in not just drivers, crew chiefs, but engineers. Every part of the race car, right, the, the relationship for HMS, we, we really become more of a farm team. At least that's the way I feel like things have changed and, and evolved for us, but... Um, you were kind of the be- beginning of that. So you come and work with with Regan and had good success. Yeah. Um, Regan, I always thought he was a really, really hard racer. I always appreciated the effort he put behind the wheel, and always I thought he was a great talent. Um, we were, I, I felt like we were lucky to be able to get him. So you come in here and, and start crew chiefing. But first off, yeah, how did Chad – Chad kind of saw it coming. Y'all would work through – it wasn't so. It wasn't a shock to him, surprise to him. No, it wasn't. Uh, you know, ultimately in the end, it was, hey, help me uh, replace you, right? You know, in in, in a good way. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we went to work on, and and uh, yeah, he always knew um, I was always going to be. I was always going to put 
them first as far as, you know, giving them information and, and being a lifeline to them. So I think repairing and mending that relationship and, and being a, a, a big cheerleader for me uh, was a big deal. And, and like I said, being able to keep that connection uh, was big on his mind because he knew he knew what I was potentially capable of. And, uh, you know, just wanting me to get my own thoughts and ideas to, to kind of push uh, up to the cup teams. Hey, how long was your rough patch? You call it a rough patch. How, it, was, how, it was not Weeks, months? It was like a couple weeks, maybe. Okay. It, it was just more over the, the time frame of when when I wouldn't uh, sign that one contract. They just were questioning whether what your yeah. commitment was. Yep, what so my commitment was. As soon as you signed your commitment and they yeah. were clear on that, then uh, that, that fixed that. Yeah. You get with Chase – Two years with him, right? One or year. One year. One yep. year with Chase, and then I pulled. Then I was like, "You're coming up." Yeah. Um. So, all this is so blurry to me. So, you had a great year with Chase. Y'all come out. Y'all, you know, you win Darlington. Yep. You win the championship. Yep. Several other races. Where Where is your mindset at this particular point? As far as all right, everything's going as planned. Are you starting to look beyond? Uh, crew chief and at the Xfinity level is where are these cup opportunities going to come from? Yeah, I mean, each year I made a, a change from Regan to Chase was almost a little surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't say that wasn't that was not necessarily on my agenda. Yeah, um, you know, I felt like like you said, you know, Regan and I had a, a, a decent year. I think we finished third in points and had uh, two wins together and. Um, you know, I felt like things were starting to move smoothly in the shop and I was gaining respect of not being, you know, the HMS guy, you know, and so I felt really good about it. And then Chase came along. I was kind of shocked. Uh, I got moved to, to Chase and, um, you know, being a young rookie, I, I remember Mr. H the first time Chase was at Daytona. He was like, just stay on the bottom, you know, don't get any, you know, and then we go and win Darlington and it's like, we're winning championships and yeah. how many more races are we going to win? Sure. It wasn't so, just that he wanted it. It was how he wanted. Like yeah, that, that, that restarted yeah. and, and, and the number of cars and who he passed at the yeah. end is still one of the most amazing, you know, it's a great pieces. little sequence. Yes, yeah. it was. It was a good sequence. And, and that whole few races was, you know, and, and Chase being as, uh, you know, he brags about himself all the time and how, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's just right. so yeah. humble about himself. <laughs> you know, he was always like, man, I don't know what I'm doing out here. And, you know, we finally built that, like like you said, we had to build that that uh, the connection of, hey, man, you know what you're doing. I'll fix the car. You just tell me what it's doing. And, and we got to that point and we're running races and, you know, we go from, you know, just stay on the bottom to how many races we're going to win championship and and that one the pressure really got put on which we always put pressure on ourselves but um we won uh chicago i think it was no texas you won darlington darlington texas back to back and then chicago later on right and i I'm, i'm sitting over here at the restaurant eating lunch and mr h calls me so i go outside i feel like he's gonna congratulate me on the win right i'm like yeah that's nice of Mr. H to do that. And it's like yeah, talking to him and he's like, he, I don't even think he mentioned anything about the wind. And he just like, you know, I like you, uh, to crew chief for Dale next year. <laughs> I'm like, what is, is this real? And he's like, yep, it's real. I, I want you to think about it. And, uh, 
you know, there's some stuff happening and, you know, I really, really want you to think about it. Keep this, you know, quiet and, and, and stuff like that. And I went back in and I couldn't finish my meal. I was like, I was, you know, kind of blown away to be honest with you. So that's kind of how those last two, three years went where pretty fast, it went really fast. And, you know, I, I knew I couldn't take the opportunity to be like, Hey, I need to stay with Chase one more year. Or I, you know, need to spend time. I knew I needed to, to make that, that jump. All right. Now hold on. So pause right there because Dale, what do you remember about that? Did you go to Mr. H first? Do you, do you know? And so, yeah. So, um, we, I learned that Steve was going into broadcasting and right. was leaving and, uh, had known that for quite a while, actually, uh, several, several months. We were able to run our whole – I think he, we, we had that all decided and sorted out even before we started the final year in 2014 together. Um, so I think so. I don't think I, – I think I learned about him going into broadcasting and then we ran the whole last year. Yeah, I mean, I remember you saying you were kind of hurt by the way you found out. Yeah, but I then, did. But I was, the, uh, right, but then, but then you sorted – but y- y'all had plenty of time to sort all that out because it yeah. was early enough in the year. And, uh, and yeah, so you start thinking, okay, um, well, I had this really good thing with Steve, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we had, we, when I started working with Steve, the coolest thing about what he did was n- – this ain't a dig on anyone I worked with before, but – he he. When we didn't run good, he would go. I got to get the car better. I had never heard that. I'd raced for twelve years, and no one had ever told me that. Right? The Yuris. When we, yeah. no one. Well, yeah, right. Like yeah. they'd tell you like, what you did wrong. <laughs> well, they'd be disappointed with me. We'd all be disappointed together. Mm-hmm. But no one ever came to me and goes, "We got to get you a better car. Mm. This car ain't good enough." I'm like, "Damn, right." Let's do that. Let's get a. I'd love a better car, you know. Um, if you can make one do more than this one did, that would be awesome. Yeah. Right? Because no one ever told me that. But um, anyhow, he said uh, we were. I was awful. I was awful. I was twenty second or something in points. Things were t- terrible. I'm thinking I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna be at HMS much longer. I'm gonna get fired. What am I gonna do? And uh, Steve came in and said, "Let's finish fifteenth. Just do that. Just finish 15th. All right, we did that for like three months and finished 15th, right? Better than 15th or better. And then we moved it to 10th, and then we did that for a while. Then we moved it to 5th, and we were literally going to the track expecting to run in the top five and running in the top five, right? Um, and then we got to win. So it was – I was – I'd never seen anything like that happen in my career where we set a goal and, and, and ramped – you know, went up the ladder, and it worked, right? Yep. Um, but anyhow, when when Steve says I'm gonna go do something different with my life, I was extremely pissed off and hurt. Uh, but then I'm thinking, I how do I keep this going? Mm-hmm. I've got I'm I'm literally where exactly where I want to be uh, in performance and and everything else is all everything's working right. We got a great team. How do we keep that? You know, how do we keep this happening? Right? And you were this sort of you know, shooting star, you know, running up the ladder. You had this amazing history, those five in a row with Jimmy and all of that, which I felt like thinking in my mind, man, Chad really leans on his engineers. You know, Chad has his own ideas, but he definitely puts a ton of pressure on his engineers to produce performance and and, and make things happen in, in the middle of the week weekend when they're struggling to find speed and fix, fix the car. I'm thinking, man... Uh, it, you know, with the success that 
you've had, and then you went into Xfinity and, and produced success. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know anyone else that could that that I feel like I would if I if I looked at any other direction to bring anyone else in, I would always wonder what if or hmm. or you were going to end up with Chase right when he w- and he goes up the next year. Yep. And I'm like, ah, I'm always going to regret this if I don't do this. I'm going to do this. This is who this is who I want. And so, you know, I, I talked to Steve, I talked to everyone, and I mean, you were the, you were the, like the, you were on everybody's radar as, mm-hmm. as a, you know, as the next guy. So it was a, uh, it wasn't a hard decision, you know. I mean, I'd worked with Kevin Mandarin for many years, really believed in him, but I think that, you know, I liked his path coming in here and working just like you did yep. as a crew chief. I don't. I still think that he has, you know, I still think he has that cup potential um, and whether he ever gets that opportunity or even wants it, I don't know. But, um, you know, I, 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 you know, we, we got together and we had kind of had uh, a bit of a relationship, you know, just yeah. having worked together at the shop and you working here. Uh, we developed a pretty good friendship. Uh, it was really weird at first when we were in the fantasy football league because I didn't get his brand of humor and I don't think he got mine either. Yeah. Um, what, what would he talk smack to you or something? We tried and, and oh. I don't know. It's the most awkward smack talking ever. It was ever. awful, awful awkward smack talk. I don't you, know that anybody got anything accomplished in that. It's, it seems like both of y'all have a story in mind and y'all don't no, want to say it. Is there, really. Was there a particular thing that, that no. made it awkward? Okay. We just would try to smack talk and it was just a com- discombobulated, yeah. <laughs> awful... <laughs> Like our comebacks were like didn't even make sense or, or my I'm just I'll talk right. I'll just talk about my side of the conversation like nothing I had I couldn't he would say things and I'd be like I don't even know what to say but I, don't <laughs> have to, I don't know how to come back to that yeah it was, it, was, it was yeah it was not and everybody would I felt like everyone was laughing at me Us. at me because of the way he had he would spin me out yeah uh, with his with his comebacks but anyways it was a very uh, interesting relationship at the start but you know when we got to work together i loved it i really loved it and you know we he's a i mean just he's easy to talk to we would sit in the holler and i could i felt like i could ask him anything never once in the years we worked together did he ever say anything that made it difficult to communicate uh you know when you're in that cubicle up there it's it's op- it's free game, man. It's open, every- and the engineers, everybody can. If somebody wants to go off the f- handle, right? Somebody wants to, if the wheels want to come off, they can come off in there, right? No one's ever going to know, and it stays in there, right? But never once did we have any kind of argument, storming out, none of that, right? I don't no. remember anything like that. I think there was only one time that you got upset with one of our engineers, and that's it. Yeah, because of that SMT or. Uh, we were looking at some driver traces, and you're like, you're like, why don't you have him drive the car then, or something, yeah. you know? But that's it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, for, for me, that was. I totally hear that. <laughs> but for me, that was not like it, it was never about trying to change a driver. It was always yeah. about trying to change the car. Yeah. I loved working with you. Uh, you know, I love to see you and and Alex continue to have success. You know, I feel connected to that because of having been part of uh, a small part of Alex's career as he's tried to get to this point and having the, my, the connection to you. I mean, it's, it's hard not to want to see you guys succeed. And, 
um, when you do, I, I, I text Rick immediately. Yeah. You know, I'm like, hey, look who won today, you know, congratulations. Yeah, I, that's what I most remember when, you know, Alex got in the car, you were probably our number one fan, right? Yeah. Like always pushing us, you know, to, you know, communicate better or be better and always there to, you know, pick us up if we got down. And, and you I know, didn't, that could not fail. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yep. Having had so much, uh, having had that involvement with you and working with you and had the same involvement with him, it's like, this is supposed to work, right? This yep. is, this has got to work. You were a big advocate for Alex, yeah. you know, sure. you know, when, when others weren't, Hey, I got to ask you though, Greg, did, uh, when, when there was a change in driver from Dale to Alex, I think we both sensed that there was a sense of ownership, I don't know, in how you led the team. Like, you you had the full reins yeah. at that point. Is that true? Yeah, Is- that's, that's, that's true. I mean, you know, obviously when you're building a team, uh, like I, I, I feel like I did when I first came over to Junior Motorsports, was able to handpick and get guys and, and kind of set your own uh, tempo and, you know, that that was that was pretty big as you know same as way Chad sets the tone you know I know Jimmy I uh, was a great leader for the 48 and and inspired these guys to work hard but you know Chad set the tone on how he did things and you know when Alex came along uh, you know Dale and I worked great together and but I always felt like I came into Dale's team and yeah. and, and needed to uh prove prove you know and, and continue on the success that he had. And, and when Alex came along, I, I, I saw it as another chase, right? Where chase needed, you know, when he came in as a rookie and I know Alex, well, he might've been a three-time rookie at that point. Right. 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 <laughs> um, when, when chase, he, he just wanted somebody that believed in him and didn't question his ability and, and get the team wrapped around it. And, and that whole time you're, I was trying to build the driver and, and Alex at the point of at some point it's going to be Alex's team. It's not going to be mine. And that's, that's the, that's my goal, uh, you know, with this now 48 team. And that was my goal with the nine team of at some point, if I'm not in this team, it's going to function because, you know, Chase is going to be the leader. Alex is going to be the leader just like Dale was and Jeff Gordon and that all the great drivers. I, I like, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but I will, I will add to, there was a moment when I was hurt in 2016 and I went to Phoenix and Alex was qualifying the car. Mm. I hadn't really been around the racetrack much at the, up to, to that point. I walk out on pit road and I put on a headset. I the whole vibe and tone and conversation of the team was completely different than what it was like when it was me and you and when I was driving a car. And basically, Alex hopped in the car, and you said, I did this, this, and this, and this. It's going to go around the corner. You just go down and drive it. Alex gets in the car, goes out there, runs. It was I think back then they had three-round qualifying yep, or something. three rounds. Car comes in. All right, Alex, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Okay, I'll go. I'm going to go out there and run. Alex goes out and runs second round. It's third round. All right, Alex, all right, Alex I'm going to do this, that, and the other. Okay, you got it. I'm gonna, and Alex just was like bought in, out on the track, and I think you guys qualified on, on the pole. And I was sitting there watching that, and I thought to myself, right away it was apparent, like this, like I might have – I you know I don't know if I'm gonna run the next year or not or what my future looks like I don't have that in my mind right then but I knew that like your future was with a younger driver 
who would listen to you and buy in. I was critical. If yeah. you said, I'm going to do this, I'd be like, eh, I'm going to tell you all the reasons why that's not going to work. And, and, and man, I don't know. And I don't believe, I don't, I, I, you know, I just, older drivers get to a point to where they listen less, they buy in less, they, they, they think that they have ha- all, you know, all the same answers that you have, and they butt heads with the, with the crew chief, whoever that guy is, right? Yep. And it's rare when it doesn't happen, but most times uh, I feel like that I should have – I wish that if I could do it all over again that I would shut up and just say, yes, we're doing what you want to do, and let you go and let you learn. If, if Knowing what I know now, it would have been better off if I would have just – bought in every weekend instead of trying to either in in my own way help you figure this thing out or trying to tell you how I would do it or what I would do or how I would strategize or how I would prepare or what shock I would run or what I would do to you know to the to the car um I was I was filling your head full of unnecessary you know, ideas and information and, and steer it, you know, you would, you would be going down this way and I'd go, no, 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 you know, don't believe in that. Yeah. Right. And you'd be like, yeah, but this is what my mind, this is what, this is what all this is telling me to do. Right. This is everything that I've learned is telling me to go this way. And I'm like, no, no, don't believe in that. Go this way. This is the way. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> when Alex hops in the car, he's like, whatever you say. And you're, you were so content and like, Man, it's so nice to have a guy just get in there and just do it, right? Just not not try to tell me why it's not going to work or why I don't need to do that and do this. Yeah, I, I remember that conversation afterwards too because I think it was with like brake valves or something. I told Alex, okay, we're going to adjust this, and I need you to move that one click. You got Nothing. it. Got it. And I would have been like, why? Why do I want to do that? <laughs> I want to move two clicks. We talked about this. We're going to move two clicks. We're not yeah. doing it that way. It's almost like I needed a rookie driver every week, you know? Like, that's how my mind worked. You had had this with Chase, right? Yep. And then when you came to work with me, I made it very frustrating, right? Because you had to, you had to almost, you had to, you had to sift everything, every idea through me, or, and, and, or you just didn't even, you'd probably better off not even tell me. Yeah. So you didn't have to deal with the argument. Um, but then, you know, I knew it. When I saw that at Phoenix, I thought, man, whatever it is, you know, I want to – I came back and I ran a year. We had a – we had it was a rough year company-wide. It wasn't like yeah. anything we were doing wrong. Um, and I'll say, too, I know this – you're the guest, and I'm supposed – you're supposed to be doing the talking, but I'll say even though that was a frustrating year from a performance standpoint, the morale and the attitude and the personality, you were a big part of that. Like, if you don't do what you do, yeah. that whole thing sort of implodes and gets worse and gets harder to get better, right? When when whoever comes in behind me, but you were a big, you were a big part of keeping the team's morale up, and uh, and and knowing you know that we had a year to finish. This was my final year. I I kept telling y'all like, man, you know, I know things aren't going well, but I'm not gonna get pissed off about this. I'm going to, this is it. I'm going to try to enjoy this and we're going to go to the racetrack and race. And Alex is coming in behind me and that's this thing for you guys to look forward to. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate how that year, that last year could have been much more difficult. Uh, but I think you were a key player in making sure it didn't go there. 
Yeah, I think that goes along with, you know, your leadership of the team because you and I had a pretty honest conversation about this. Yeah. Um, I remember qualifying one time, and we didn't qualify so well at the 600 the year before, or maybe I, I, kind of fuzzy in my mind. And I remember driving to your house, and we were sitting on the couch. It's like 1 o'clock at night, and we had an honest conversation then, and then we had an honest conversation going into 2000, the, the final year. And I think we set the tone for that. You know, if we weren't on the same page, I felt like it definitely could have went the wrong way. And uh, you always had my back and I always had yours. And, and, you know, I think the leadership showed because the guys were always ready to go the next week. So it was uh, it, it helped me grow um, in, in as, as a crew chief and as a leader because not every uh, race season, not every race, not every uh, – Every time we go to the racetrack is going to be easy and fun, but yeah. um, you know you want it. We set goals out there of just you know being competitive and running all the laps, and, and at the end of the day, you know staying on the same team. You know. Yeah. Can I ask this? Uh, you know, I can't help but hear when Dale explains that whole uh, experience. It sounds like that would have been miserable for you, but I know he's being harsh on himself as far as you know the way he would apply feedback when he called you. I think. Greg was the first person you called when you had made a decision yeah. to retire. I don't. I think you even called him before you called your mom. Do you remember that phone call? I do. And what was what, what was your reaction to hearing that he was really going to retire? You know, um, you know. Initially, you put some of the burden on yourself or responsibility uh, on yourself because, you know, to to me, I felt like as a crew chief, I was supposed to. Uh, you know, protect them and, and, and not make certain decisions to put them in, in harm's way, right? And I think one of the crashes, I, I made the decision to take two tires or four tires and kind of put us back at, at Michigan, and ultimately we got in, in a crash. So, you know, I feel at, at that point I felt some responsibility for it. So, which, you know uh, – you know that's that's what comes with racing is and and that's what makes great leaders great is that they they put the responsibility and burden on themselves and um you know it was it was tough for me to to hear and I appreciated you know him having that conversation with me but um ultimately it it was an understandable decision you know so I remember, I remember, oh, go ahead, Joe. I would, the, you talked about the first phone call was to Greg. I remember he was the first person I called when I was dealing with some vision issues in the middle of 2016. Uh, I remember standing in the garage area at Kentucky looking at the scoreboard. I have always had like 2020 vision, 2010, 2020, and uh, super good. Like I've, you know, just, you know, used to, I don't anymore. It's awful. But, uh, I used to brag about it and go get my exam, come back and be like, "Yeah, buddy, still awesome." See you like a beagle. Hell yeah, I, I remember. It. I'm standing there <laughs> in the garage area with uh, with a, a few folks, and I'm looking at the scoreboard. And I'm like, is, "Is the scoreboard blurry to you guys? It's like way over in turn one, right?" And I'm like, "I usually see pretty clearly, but it's blurry. Is it the heat or what's going on? Is it blurry or because of the heat, right? Come rising off yep. everything. It was a hundred freaking degrees in Kentucky every year." They're like, nah, it's not blurry. I'm like, man, what's going on? And I went to the, I went in the bus and I called Jimmy and I said, Jimmy, I'm, I got something going on. I went and sit, went and sat down and talked to him. And he said, I, I, we both determined we thought it might be allergies, right? Yep. 
Anyhow, a couple weeks goes by, and we're getting ready to go to New Hampshire, I think, to race. And I called Greg, and I said, Greg, I said, I got this stuff going on. And I told him all the symptoms, and I said, I don't know what that means, and I don't know why it's happening. And the last wreck was a month ago, well, you know, a month and a half ago. I was like, it doesn't seem like concussions, but it's getting worse every other, you know, every day or so. It's getting worse and worse, and I don't really know if I can race this weekend. Like, I'm worried that if I it's Monday and, and I'm worried that by maybe Sunday I might have to say in this final hour, I might have to break the news to you guys and go, I can't race. What are we going to do now? Right here, right here in front of the whole world. And he and he uh, he's like, I don't know. Uh, I was like, I think we need to get a driver on standby. And he's like, okay, 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 okay. I was like, um, yeah, we'll get Alex. We'll get Alex and have him. And we're not, you know, like we're planning this ourselves. Like, yeah. It's the dumbest plan ever. <laughs> and I don't know if it was you at the end of the conversation that told me to talk to Rick. Yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> did you call Rick yet? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you should probably call Rick. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good idea. I call Rick and Rick's like, get your ass to the hospital. Get get your freaking head checked out. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. We're not going to the track for like some <laughs> patchwork plan. Quit going to Jimmy for your diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> well, so in the driver's meeting, you mentioned that you had some allergies going on in the, at Kentucky. And, you know, I was, you know, concerned. And Kentucky... I've never had allergies in my life. Yeah. So, so is, and, and I didn't know that. I was reaching. So, um, but Kentucky, obviously not a very good track for Hendrick Motorsports or us at the time. And I think we were passing... Denny for seventh, and you went down on the apron uh, at the start finish line, and you hit oh that bump. Oh my god! Bump. Yes, and we were like, we we're like, yeah, we're we're going forward, cars fast. Yeah. Dale's getting in his groove, you know, and you hit that bump, and I think we went back to seventeenth. That's right. You pass him for seventh, and a couple laps were back to seventeenth, and I was like, you know, there's something going on. So, yeah. Um, I know you got out of the car concerned, but we didn't really talk about it. And I don't know if Loudon was the next race or not. I felt like it was. Yeah, it was the next race, and you called me, and, and that's when I was standing at the top of my driveway pacing, you know, trying to come develop this plan. great plan we had going on. <laughs> and, you know, I, I called Alex right after that. I was like, hey, Alex, uh, uh, Dale needs a, you know, wants to make sure he has a backup driver just in case anything happens. Like, He's like for this weekend. I'm like, no, no, not 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 for this weekend. Just for any time, you know. We, we never really had that, and so yeah. I convinced him to come in. And uh, he sat in the car, and I was like, "You need any changes?" He's like, "Nope, this is good for me." <laughs> you <laughs> that's know, pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. So now I, he's probably pretty critical. Yeah, no, not not, <laughs> not really. But yeah. uh, now but, that he's learned all yeah. of the oh, oh. all of the things that he can change. He's probably like, yeah. I need to move to sixteen. Right? Though. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, and and obviously he he had uh, no love lost for New Hampshire, but uh-huh. uh, he got in there and did a great job. He so. did. He did. I remember Greg just being with you every step of the way. Like, you know, you started yeah, going yeah, to yeah. Pittsburgh, and, and I thought, I didn't know if that was unusual or not. And I don't even know what you thought about it. Cause well, we, but, but like, he would go with you. It wasn't unusual. So, with, with Steve, I had developed this amazing friendship, and I had it with Tony Sr. and Tony Jr. We're family, obviously, right? So, um, even with Lance, it was important that we had off track time together and he'd come lance would come to the house if i was gonna hang out and drink beer I, lance would i'd call him and he might come right 
Um, so I always felt like that the only way we were going to have each other's back was that we really truly had to be friends. We had to have a, a real sense of we had to care for each other, right, and want the best for each other and wonder what's going on in our personal lives and want that to be good, right? And I think, you know, when we started, when we got together, I said, hey, don't know if you're down, but we're going to become friends, right? <laughs> you got a new, you're going to get a new buddy here. Yeah. And hope you're interested in that. Because got that's, one. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be part of this relationship. It yep. has to, I have to have that trust, that friendship trust, right, is real, really important. And uh, so when he was, you know, when his, so I would, you know, it was comfortable to call him because I could call him just like I was calling Sonny or, or one of my great friends mm-hmm. and going, man, I got a problem and I really don't know who else to talk to. Um, I could call him and know that he wasn't going to go run into into somebody's office or, or go upstairs to Rick or, or, you know, freak out, right, until it was time to freak out. And so, uh, yeah, him going to the – I wanted him to be there. Right, mm-hmm. I wanted him to know exactly what was happening, so he could go back to the team and relay whatever information was necessary, so that they weren't worried or questioning what was going on, and that he too knew, like how far out this plan was happening. Right, uh, I think some of the things that I included you right out of the get go, yep. and didn't do that with Rick. Yeah, right, completely forgot to share the same sort of uh, access for Rick. So for a couple months at least, I don't know how long it was, but like going when we got sidelined in 16 and I had to get out of the car, I wasn't calling Rick, wasn't going with me. I wasn't calling Rick and telling him what was happening. I was, you know, you were there because you were, you know, I don't know, man. It was, uh, it didn't seem, I wanted him to be there. Yeah. I wanted him to, I, it, I worried about the team. I worried about they, their thoughts, their assumptions on what was happening, and also mm. wanted him to, I, did, I felt like I was letting him down, right? I felt like I was I was making this – he's trying to get this build momentum, get this team stronger and stronger, and I felt like I was pulling the batteries out of this thing, right? And yeah, so – and it, it goes back to what I said about responsibility on my part. Like him including me and me being part of it allowed me to get over that. Like it, <clears throat> it was just part of – you know, I, I learned more about your history of yeah, concussions yeah, yeah. and – and it wasn't just because of one decision I made yeah. at, at Michigan, right? So it really helped me grow as, you know, part of, of Dale and his history, but also, um, you know, understand the medical side of things. And, and that, that all had an uh, interest in my, my head as well. But um, it, it def- I think if it didn't go that way, uh, I think my path as a crew chief could have went differently just because of, like I said, there there's great pressure on us as as a driver mm-hmm. and, and, and a crew chief combination that if you don't have that relationship, um, I think I could have went the wrong way and, you know, mm. put more I'll blame say, on myself. I say this, man. I can't believe that you even felt I can't I'm for, this is the first time I'm hearing that you had any of those emotions. I don't I can't believe that you had those emotions. Like I never, I'll just say if this helps at all, I don't know, but I never look back at any of my history and, and pinpoint specific things that put me in any situation. You know, if I look at a race and and go to my notes and say, okay, I wrecked at Bristol. Um, I ran into Denny Hamlin uh, as he careened off the inside wall. 
and what put me in that what put me in third you know how did i get there well, let's go back to the you know yeah i don't do, i never did that i never i never walked out of that racetrack going man i wish greg wouldn't have done x y or z never crossed my mind yeah you know i and i know that you've you know, look at it differently and you say, man, I wish I wouldn't have maybe done X, Y, and Z, but I never thought about it. Never yeah. crossed my mind one time mm. to to go, I wish I hadn't have looked, I wish I wouldn't have been on the outside of that guy, or yeah. I wish I would have done a better job on the restart, uh, you know, to, to not be in that position. I never, never thought of it. So yeah. it, and I think I, you know, I, like I said, as, as you included in that, I remember you know, you come into my bus and, and us sitting on the couch and you telling me about your journal and, and all the all, all the things that you go through from a, a race car driver and, yeah. and, you know, from the smallest accident to the greatest victory, right? There's There was a lot of things that we kind of worked through together. And, you know, in in the end, like I said, if, if I wasn't part of that going to Pittsburgh or part of the solving the problem that was created, you know, I think it could have been a little different aspect for me i think you were looking for people to believe you too at the same time and i, I think you, <clears throat> yeah i think you you sort of hinted at it uh a few minutes ago is that you wanted your team you you cared about what your team thought but i as i remember kind of none of us really knew what the heck he was talking about he you know what he'd do he'd do this thing where it'd be like in you'd be in my office and he'd be like well did you just feel that like did you like right there everything got that got dizzy and i would just be like the heck is he talking about? Like, I mean, honestly, if you don't want to race, just don't race or something. Yeah. Like, I mean, why are we going through these theatrics? Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I, and and I listen. I feel awful being being no, that, it's that honest. But it's but like, fair. I know yeah. when you wrote the book, and and I think that you were going through. You needed people to believe you, and and I still I kind of feel guilty that at first we we needed convincing. In fact, it I, was Mickey Collins that actually yeah. the moment when we realized oh. Yeah. Like if if Dale is coming up with these things, it's about to get exposed right here with Mickey Collins, his doctor. And you were in the in the room with us all and, and we're all sitting there and Mickey Collins' response was, You should have been here a long time ago. You messed up by yeah, you, know, you don't understand how bad this is. You you can fix this, but you waited way too long. And then we were all kind of looking at each other going, Wow, man, I, uh, he he it's been legit this whole time. I mean, all these things he's talking about. Well, another thing to add to that, I in my short crew chiefing career before Dale, I, I experienced some of those same things of driver having a health issue or, or a question about concussions, and you know, and they went to me, right? And I went to the like I had, you know, my sister is really um, my my education source for medical stuff, and, and I was always. You know, like I said, growing up wanting to be in the med field and, and you know, I, I felt like I could help. And a couple of drivers did did do that before um, your incident. And so it, it was kind of almost natural to 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 believe. Right. Mm -hmm. Natural to believe that, you know, there's there's something going on. And, um, you know, the, with my past yeah. experience, that, that, that's one thing I never uh I never felt like I had, I never felt like I had to go over on explanation on what I was dealing with with you. Like I could just say, "Hey, man, I feel there's a couple things going on, and I want to deal with them." And I never had to take, I never had to put in this big effort to try to 
really dissect the the problem. And it was a couple of guys on the team. Also, I had that same connection with Adam, our interior guy. Yeah. Me and him sort of had had this great connection. Um, and I got out of the car at Michigan, and he's looking at me, and I'm like, my bell is rung. And uh, he's looking at me. He's like, you all right? Mm. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stop looking at me, you know, yeah. like because he could see it. And because uh, I was just – I'd gotten out of the car, and I was standing – I think I was standing in the garage stall, and everybody's – on the car, right? Fixing the car, trying to figure out how are we going to fix, you know, we destroy Get back this. out. Yeah. <laughs> and he's standing there looking at me going, and I'm like, yeah, you, you got me. So they were, but you know, it, that was a, uh, I hated the, I hated that we all had to go through that. I'll just say that. I hated that we all had to uh, go through that, but I want to tell you that you were a great friend. You were amazing. Even in those in those pers- in those professional challenges, w- that is a massive curveball for a crew chief. Puts you in a very difficult situation to have to keep keep the team going and keep the morale up. You're working with different drivers. You got Jeff coming in. You got Alex coming in back and forth. They don't want it. They're running every other week. Um, you don't know what I'm going to do. I asked you guys to to take me back for another year. Um, you, some of you guys, I don't know, maybe we're looking already to the future on what might be next, but you, you got me one more year and, uh, and y'all did it. You know, you never, you never, you never, I never sensed once that y'all weren't down to do it. Right. And, and I really appreciate that. You know, I'll be forever grateful for, um, not only your friendship, which is still as strong today as it's ever been, because we ever in the communications that we have, I can just tell that that's very valuable and important to you as it is to yep. me. Um, but I really, really appreciate everything you did in those few short years we raced together, how all that went down and how you managed it and, and your integrity and, and, uh, classes is, is, is hard to beat. I appreciate that. Yeah. You got Alex and you guys are, you know, winning races, probably not winning as many races yep. as you want to, but, Looks like the Chevy teams have got things turned around. The organization as a whole is way better than it was a couple years ago. We got new cars coming down the pipe and all that good stuff, crazy things happening in the sport that you got your hands full with. Where are you mentally and emotionally in your career? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, just as low as those times I spoke about, I'm just as high now, you know, um, you know, I think I told uh, somebody not too long ago, I, you know, when I was here at Junior Motorsports and on the nine car, there wasn't a and, – and with you in 2015, I didn't think there was a better crew chief on pit road. Mm-hmm. And that was the mindset that you have to have, mm-hmm. right? That was trained in me. Um, you know, over the course of some of those years, you know, it, it takes a toll on your confidence and takes a toll on what you think your abilities are and, um, you know – I feel like, you know, as as arrogant it may sound or whatnot, I, I feel like we're getting back to that point. Yeah. Um, that um, people are looking at us uh, to perform on the racetrack. Um, we have, you know, different strategies and, and setups and, and um, you know, eyes from different people. And uh, I feel like, you know, that's not only just from an organization standpoint, but something that we push very hard on, on the 48 team. So you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily think, 
saying it's me, but I think it is my uh, attitude going to the racetrack, you know, thinking that I have a little more confidence and, um, you know, not only myself, but also the rest of the team. So. Alex seems like he has matured so much in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I know it's it's some of the small things such as him taking his health more seriously and being just in better overall sh- physical shape to drive a race car. But um, I remember uh, when we first when he first got into the cup car and, and we worked together a lot. He had a, he had to sit out a whole year, you know, while I ran that final year. When we, me and him, were riding bikes, communicating all the time, and he just would say these things every once in a while. Where you're like, "Man, come on, don't think that way," you know. Gosh darn it, you know, just don't. You got to get that part of your personality and rip that off and throw it away. And it seems like that he's finally there. He used to beat himself up or be very self-deprecating, but it seems like he's got really this new level of confidence like he knows he belongs there he's i guess he's less because i mean there was every year he's racing not knowing his not knowing his future yeah right no clue whether he's going to be there the next year because i think you know there wasn't a lot of there wasn't you know his contract wasn't secure but now things seem to be in a much better place yeah and i kind of touched on it earlier where i you know whether it was chase or any rookie driver always tried to elevate them to feel like they're the leader of the team. That, that basically what the driver does on the racetrack dictates the team's morale. Right. And if, if the driver has confidence and, and some sort of swagger, um, so is the team. And, uh, I've always wanted to force, I wouldn't say force, wanted Alex to get to be that leader on the team, you know? Um, and I, I feel like he's getting to that point. Um, Richmond, um, you know, we had a bad pit stop and his comments were, you know, we're going to go pass them all again. You know, it wasn't, you know, a, a negative comment to beat down on, on the team and, and change it. That was a pivotal point of the race. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's two ways you can go. And he chose the one that led us to confidence and, and led us to the fact of, you know, we're going to pick ourselves up and get after it. And um, like you said, two, three years ago, you know, I, I joke with him, you know, quit being Eeyore, you know, yeah. like he, he was always yes. down on himself yeah. and, and he's, he's not that anymore. No, mm. not at all. That's exactly it. Yeah. Like I used to drive me crazy with him and I'm like, oh man, I know you don't know what, I know you wish you'd had a you know, two, three, four year contract right yeah. now in your hands done, but you got to get this, you got to change this <laughs> sort of mindset. And uh, yeah, he completely, yeah. he's a completely different person. Yeah. And you know, that that resonates through the whole team, sure. you know? So, um, I'm almost, I almost got him where I want him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's still a work in progress. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yep. That's you, crazy. I, regarding Richmond, you, you said something in the post race that I just got to ask you about. You said that you did something regarding what you did on that final pit stop for, for that last few laps that you tried with Dale and it didn't work. Do you, remember exactly what it was because i don't know that you did dale you you were like so so it wasn't really exactly what i tried with dale but you know you always think you're smart at the end of those races and leave fuel out or you pump up air pressures or you think that whatever happens and um we did this with dale we were running fairly well top 10 top five ish and i think we're in the top five you're we came down for a late caution and, and restart and i did some things and you went out there and you were plowing tight and you're like, you know, Richmond always gets tight at 
in the last 50 laps. And that always has stuck with me. And um, <laughs> not saying, I'm going to say it might be a contributing factor of what I did on, on that day. Oh, you said it. In the, you said it. So I'm sticking with it. We're sticking I'm, with it. I'm taking that and running. Yeah. yeah no, I, hel- I helped them. We even yeah. ordered a replica trophy, uh, just so yeah. you know. Something, I did a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it, it definitely yeah, was like I influenced. Um, you know, it, it was funny because, like I said, I, I remember like it was yesterday yeah. that you know that that radio uh, communication was <laughs> was uh, vibrant for sure. Oh my gosh, this is your car. We talked about it. Yep. All right, in this podcast, the team, you know, the throwback stuff we do at Darlington is always really. Uh, it's always been important to me and. Um, I think it, uh, you know, it's it's a great campaign that belongs at Darlington. It's been a lot of fun seeing the teams get creative with it every year and what they want to do. And it seemed to be very easy to come up with a lot of unique or or, or fun uh, throwbacks at the very initial outset of the uh, campaign. But as throwback season happens year after year after year, the teams have to get more and more creative. Yep. And yep. I think that this one is one of my favorites. I'm sure it's uh, absolutely special to you, but Alex and the team are throwing it back to that late model stock car uh, that you raced back home in Michigan. Yep. Bright green, or what sea, is that? Seafoam. Seafoam. Sea oh, seafoam and limes. Grapefruit. Seafoam and grapefruit. <laughs> it's a beautiful car. It really is. They unveiled the car to you at the shop. Yeah. Right? Did you know what was going to happen? Zero. You had cl- zero, zero clue, right? Zero idea. Walk up, cars under cover. Teams gathering, everybody's gathering around. Do you even know that you're the focus of this gathering? So it actually started. They wanted some. B, they told me they wanted some B-roll of our team meetings mm-hmm. and uh, for Ally, and they mic me up, Alex, and and as they walk in, you know, Alex is like, "Hey, pull that." It, they unveiled it on 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 a digital screen. Yeah. So, um, and they're like, "Throw that up there." And when I saw it, I didn't really even know what to say. Wow. So. You know, I, I've been, I was hounding him a little bit, you know, sometimes you need that with Alex is, you know, um, like, hey, we got to get this uh, throwback scheme done. You know, I got some ideas and, and um, you know, that I wanted to, to push through uh, that I thought was going to be special to, you know, the sport. And uh, yeah, he unveiled that. So definitely uh, truly special, um, you know, still, still in awe of today. And uh just the way that whole paint scheme came together, um, I always say it, it chose me. I didn't really cho- choose that yeah. color. I didn't choose uh, that whole design. But how it came about, you know, was off- also honoring uh, a fallen racer. Yeah. So Jim Jim Pagel yep. ran this color back in 1993. He was a stock car driver. Lost his life May 2nd, 1997, following a crash during qualifying in, at Wisconsin. And... Uh, you pay tribute to Pago after purchasing the car, like you said. Coleman family asked you to keep that color. Yeah, and and I didn't really know the significance, yeah. mm. right? As a young 18-year-old kid, I'm just excited to have a brand-new race car, right? Mm. And when I unloaded it and I was down there at the uh, Wisconsin track, um, a, lot of, a lot of crew guys and officials were like, man, I, I really appreciate that. That's a cool color, and... Um, I didn't really know what they're talking about, honestly. And they told me about Jim and, and him running that scheme in 93. And um, I did did my homework and my research on it. And I didn't necessarily think that was the 
number one choice of my color mm-hmm. uh, for the car, but it's so much more about the history of the sport and, and the people who paved the way for you. I, I felt to me, it was an honor to be able to run that color and, you know, be able to keep that story alive now, 20 some years, 20 years later. So 23 years later. Yeah. So this is like how, this is exactly what in my mind, throwback, the throwbacks, you know, spirit is all about. Right. You know, we, I, Throwing it back to your favorite driver, throwing it back to something that connects to you, right? Not just, yep. you know, not just some, you know, not just putting something on a car just because it's old, but it's got to have this. It's really cool, really special when it has a personal connection, and you know, being able to put your story together here on this podcast uh, has been a lot of fun for me. I think the people that are going to listen to this are going to love to learn all these things about you, but also when they see this car on the racetrack, yeah. right? And they're going to really understand what this car, what the meaning is behind this car. Yep. And so it's going to be a lot of, it's pretty cool to be able to tie it all together. Right, Mike? That's right. And, and uh, I can't wait to see it. Um, Greg, one thing I want to ask you real quick. Yesterday I saw, I was driving around and I saw Nova and I said, that looks like Greg Ives Nova. But then I said, no, it can't be Greg Ives Nova because the family's out pushing it to a gas pump. That was me. What? Why were you running out of gas? No, no, we had, I, yeah, I was full of gas. And so <laughs> this wife, this lovely wife that he, he they're out pushing this Nova. Where? So, so, up a hill. so, so funny. It, we're getting, um, some remodeling done, painting and stuff. And the painter actually, she, my wife's trying to sell this Nova. <laughs> and I want this Nova cause that was one of the first cars my dad and I kind of connected on. So, He's like, how much you want for that Nova? He's like, uh, I don't know, yada, yada, yada. So I'm like, I'm bound and determined. We're going out for ice cream after dinner in the Nova. Well, it hasn't, I was bragging on last time I started it, started right up, battery wasn't dead, nothing. It was good to go. Well, I go to start it this time, battery's dead, won't start. I finally get it, get it started. And uh, I think it's all good to go. Drive it to the gas station. I had half a tank, but I wanted to fill it up. Well, I go to start it and battery's dead. <laughs> so not bidding. She's like, she's like, the price is going down on this, <laughs> <laughs> on this car. So um, ultimately, uh, yeah, that's what I love about my wife. It, you know, she grew up a farm girl. And when I asked her to help push start this car, she has zero yeah. questions. And so we... I strategically placed it on at the gas station down a hill so we could push it off and, and make sure it started. So uh, that's what we we're doing. That's hilarious. <laughs> Cup winning crew chief. Just one two weeks ago, out push starting his car. <laughs> so we, we went and had ice cream. They all wanted to go get a different car, and I was bound and determined. Nope. Nope. Yep. So we went and got ice cream, and I found another hill to park it on. And <laughs> um, after the ice cream, we, we, uh, we waxed her up as far as on the hill, and then we got in it, and proceeded to roll down the hill, pop started it, and drove it home. There's your guy right there. There he is. Yeah. Getting you, it done. Have you fixed it? Not, yeah, I got the battery charger on it right now. Okay. But Why don't you just put a new battery in? Because I didn't battery. have one. Yeah. So I, I will. You can uh, get one from Pep Boys. <laughs> oh, Lord. Or Advance Auto. That's right. Or, <laughs> we were just doing an ad before earlier. you came in here. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Pep Boys a silly name for our auto parts store? Yeah. Pep Boys. I was telling everybody that, like, uh, this weekend we won that, or Richmond, we won the Toyota Owners, and we're a Chevrolet. Yeah. First win we got together was 
Geico with the nationwide car. Yeah. My wins <laughs> with uh, Chase were the sports clips with the great clips sponsorship or you know, oh, yeah. co-sponsorship. And then Stick Napa it. car with the Stick O'Reilly. That's right. It was the O'Reilly uh, yeah. race yeah. In, te- in Texas yeah. that he won with the Napa car. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So what, what's the Why sponsor? are we so competitive? Like we take sponsor competitiveness even seriously. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You're banging on Pet Boy's name. I mean, why are you doing that? You just, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels like natural, it's doesn't it? Else, nothing better yeah. to do. Right now. <laughs> I'm going to regret it. I'm sure. Yeah, well, we, we have a sponsorship proposal on Pet Boy's. Yeah. Well, um, they're probably going to eat me alive on Twitter for some reason. This guy's giving us may have the record. Yeah, may have the record. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, have, it's probably not all the things we can talk about either. Yeah, that's well, what's fun. You get to come back, you know. Oh, that, yeah. We're gonna. He's gonna come back when his kids. I mean, he's got two kids racing now. That's right. We didn't even touch on that. And, yeah. And they're running the box stocks, yeah. and they're out there running against like Boyer's kid and Larson's yeah. kid and everything else. And yeah. so, that whenever and, they make and it GoPro time, and they're they're at all those places. Yeah. Six years old. I think I'm gonna have him running fifty times this year. So. Jesus. And that's all he loves to do. Yeah. Let him eat. He what? Yeah. Let him go. One time he told me he didn't want to go. We didn't go. And then you realize, like. Man, I really wanted to go. The, al- <laughs> the, al- the alternatives are just yeah. not nearly as good. Yeah. yeah. We're going next time. We're not. Yeah. So, Don't I mean, let me say that again. Let me talk you out of that. Just like uh, any kid, you know, if they want to do it, they're going to do it. Yeah. So. That's awesome, man. Well, we're going to have a lot of fun watching you continue the season. Can't wait to get to the racetrack, start calling some races, and, and get down in there into the NASCAR garage bubble and yeah. saying, hey. But uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. I know crew chiefs rarely pull themselves away from the shop. So, appreciate you uh dropping in and giving us some time and fans are going to love to hear this story well i appreciate you guys having me on like i said uh, uh it's it's been it's been fun i yeah. never thought i'd be on it to be Let's honestly <laughs> greg ives on the dale jr download Finally time for the best part of the show. <laughs> Ask Junior brought to you by Xfinity. How about we get into these questions, Leah, that everyone has sent to Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Junior at the Dale Junior Download. This is the live portion of the show. Live TV, Mike. Man, Get on your on. toes, buddy. Yeah, pressure's on. I hope they got some good questions. This is the Ask Junior presented by Xfinity. Xfinity is a proud <laughs> premier partner of NASCAR. We've had a great show today. Uh, Greg Eyes was in here. I, I say it a bunch, and I think four or five times on this particular podcast, I get asked all the time, how do I get into racing? How do I get into racing? You're going to hear how to get into racing mm-hmm. through the words of Greg Ives telling his story. I, there's no easy way. There's no easy route. Somebody might get lucky every once in a while, but there's a, a ton of sacrifice, and usually it's hard for me to give the person the answer because I don't think they're going to like it. But Greg Ives is going to tell you. So... um Anyways, you guys presented your questions to at uh, Xfinity Racing on Twitter, and um, I follow my timeline and see some of the stuff you guys got uh, gotten on on uh, the top of your mind, and I'm looking forward to these questions today. So Leah's got them teed up, so let's get started. Our first question coming from Michael Krause. How did your ride-along go last week with Brandon? Did you get above 120 miles an hour? Sure. Yeah, we did. Um I borrowed a car from uh, Hendrick Motorsports. Hendrick has a two-seater, and it's really well done, and it's basically ready to rock and ready to go fast, and, and uh, you can push this thing pretty hard. 
Uh, so we got we ran. I don't want to give away too much because those guys are going to take that uh, film and content and create it, uh, create their own content with it for the uh, I guess the I am athlete That's right. podcast. So I don't want to tell you everything that happened. It was a lot of fun, and um, and everybody got in on the act, uh, and I think that they came away with a new appreciation uh, for what it's like inside the car. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the footage. Right, because yeah. they were they were pretty entertaining. Our next question coming from Jamerson. What are your thoughts on Brad Keselowski tying your record of six wins at Talladega? I um, I text Brad after the race. I said you can tie my um, my victories at Talladega, and you can even beat them by uh, by going and winning next year. But n- do not do not tie or beat my dad's uh, ten victories <laughs> uh, right now. Not too much of a threat, but Brad's got some years left, mm-hmm. so. He could de- he could definitely get up there and 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 get within reach of dad, but I want dad uh, his records any of his records to stand. So uh, so I'm always pulling for that. Matthew Cobb um, asked if you could improve speedway racing, how would you do it, and what era do you point at and say that was the best on track product we had? Oh, my gosh, um, I loved it all. That's the problem. So for me, like I pick any race. Pick any race at Talladega, and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to watch it in all, whether it's from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, when I raced in the thousands. Um, all of it's – I can be entertained by any of those. What I'm not entertained by is the aesthetics of the, of the spoiler. <laughs> I don't like it. It's giant, ugly, and seems frankly unnecessary. And, uh, you know, the plates that we've ran over the years, didn't care. Don't know. Put whatever plate. I don't see it. So it doesn't bother me. You know, I just don't like the look of that spoiler on our cars. I think our cars shouldn't have big, giant spoilers hanging on them like that. Things is this, um, I don't know. I can't, ever, I can't say enough how ridiculous I think it is. Just looking at it, right? I'm not even talking about how it makes the cars behave. But uh, in a general sense, I understand why they put the spoiler on the car i know you know they're trying to create drag and, and and closing rate and passing and all the things i wish that we could find a way i don't know if it's even possible but i wish that we could find a way to do this firewall forward working at the nose of the car somehow to create that drag create that vulnerability for that lead car to where he is easy to pass and he has to be smart to figure out how to keep the lead um and then we wouldn't need the big spoiler that all the guys are trying to look through and the guy look, looking through the mirror can't see what's going on and at the back of his race car and all that. So um, I imagine, you know, those things get dirty and, and, you know, just trying to see through multiple, you know, if you're pushing somebody, you used to couldn't, you used to not be able to see. Um, when we did tandem, you didn't see nothing. You were looking at the back of a race car. You couldn't see around that car. You're pushing him as hard as you can go, and you don't know whether you're driving him right up into a crash or into the back of somebody, or whether the track, you know, whether they're three or four wide and he has nowhere to go. You you, you can't see it. I imagine it's maybe similar, even though those spoilers are Lexan. I imagine the vision isn't really ideal, um, and it, maybe that's why we see sort of that that deal we saw with Logano on the back straightaway where, where a guy's pushing somebody up into a, in, into another car and another car and another car. And they, they get, you know, squeezed out 
squeezed out of the giraffe and, and turned around. So um, I think if you knew you were shoving a guy into the back of another car, you'd, you'd lift and let off. Your spotter's giving you that information. You certainly don't want to drive him into the car in front of him and create a problem. So uh, I think what I just, you know, I, I think that uh, there's certainly a better way, right? I'm not in charge. Don't take my, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, make a big complaint here. Uh, but there's this isn't the, this isn't the best uh, we can do. D. Kalen uh, asks her says that when you ran restrictor plate races, you took every run possible. Nowadays, with the current package, it, uh, there's always a run. Would you still race with that mentality? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that if you're always on the offense, um, I think when you get on the defense, if you're protecting, that's when you crash. That's when you get crashed. Um, that's when you put yourself in position to be wrecked. I always felt like that if I was trying to move forward, trying to go forward, always trying to to make a make something happen, then I got wrecked less. And and I and I found myself I, if I felt like I always knew what to do and 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 I got I'm gonna go, you know, about this in a very methodical way, and I'm gonna always be going. I felt safer. I felt um, I felt like I was in control of the race, my race. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it's circumstances you're getting crashes that you have no way of missing, no way of avoiding. But if I was, if I, if I was in defense mode, that's never fun. And it typically ended up with me being upside down or crashed. I didn't flip that often actually, but it typically meant that, that, um, we were going to end up in the mess. Our next question coming from a fairly new NASCAR fan, Peter Kinzel. Um, he says, NFL coaches look at a ton of film, the same for quarterbacks. How much film of races do crew chiefs and drivers watch? Crew chiefs have been watching every race. Uh, crew chiefs are watching races as we speak in their offices up on the TV. They'll have those races from last year or earlier this year, always playing and listening to sort of to remind themselves a bit about what each crew chief chose for strategy, uh, what two tires, four tires, uh, what positions they put themselves in for the end of the run, end of the race as far as taking fuel and things like that. So the crew chiefs have been doing that for years, even back, uh, you know, when I was driving, I'd go into the office at uh, Latarts or Greg's uh, and there'd be a race last year's race playing on the TV. They might play it, loop it, you know, let it run and run and run, and they watch that same race several times during the week in case they miss something. So I think it's it's, – it's, uh, and I noticed then what a refresher that was, right? I'd never watched races, and I'd go into the weekend and just be like, look, man, this is a weekend. It's going to play out the way it plays out. But then I started seeing my creatures watch races, and I thought, man, at least you kind of – you remind yourself of what to look for. You remind yourself of how the tire behaved, um, what kind of grip it had, and how long, how many laps it had that grip. You know, if you've got a track where you move around a lot, uh, you run the high line or go to the fence, when do you go to the fence? Is it lap 10? Is it lap 20? When do you start making time up there? When did those guys start doing that in the race, the time we raced here before? Did, did they go to the top after lap 4, or was it lap 20, or did it happen in the last 10 laps of the run? So... Um, cause you, you know, you want to be making time all the time. We want to, you want to be as fast as you possibly can be. So if you're, if you could be making time at the top, you want to get up there and do it, but you don't want to go too soon. 
um, you you remember those things uh, by looking at that film. I think drivers now watch the same, you know, do the same thing the crew chiefs have been doing as far as just watching those races over again. Um, especially if you can get a hold of in-car footage for a driver, that's really helpful to see how the car's handling and 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 how the car drives, even if it's not your in-car footage. I always like to watch the in-car stuff. Uh, Chris Smith brought up uh, Josh Berry's win this past weekend in the Cars Tour. Uh, did you see the battle between him and McCaskill? I did. Um, and Deke and Brad, uh, Deke and Josh have always had a very good relationship. Um, I don't. If I'm Deke, I still think I'd take Josh and run him a little bit harder uh, for that thirty thousand dollars. But Deke's a pretty straight up professional, and uh, so the way he raced him, I was not surprised. Uh, Josh. Uh, said he didn't have the best car, but uh, was able to go out there and get it done. Josh ran on uh, Saturday in the Xfinity at Dega and then went to Orange County on Sunday and and qualified and raced and won the $30,000 win Cars Tour race. Uh, he won that same $30,000 uh, $30, Cars Tour race at Greenville Pickens last year, so this is two years in a row he's gotten that check. And, uh, you know, Josh is not making, you know, Xfinity money – you know, not not even making truck money. Uh, he's ra- he's a he's a short tracker. He's working week to week, uh, paycheck to paycheck. Those race winnings. I saw. I say this because a guy said, "Heck with the money. The trophies forever." Well, no, the money's pretty important to Josh. That's a big big bonus for him and his family. He's got a little girl now that uh, that he's that he's trying to provide for. So I was pretty pumped for him to be able to to get such a big payday. All right, guys, that's it for today. All right, great questions. You guys always come through. You know, it's interesting. A lot of your questions were some of the uh, some of the uh, potential topics for our open segments, so that's just uh, how on it you guys are. Uh, thanks for that. This is a great part of the show that I really enjoy. We get to interact with, with people that support our show in the moment, uh, and I think that's pretty special. So I hope you guys have a great week. Well, we always say it, man. It goes by too fast, Mike. Why does it go by so fast? Well, I mean, I have a couple ideas, but I'm going to say it's probably because you're trying to keep up with the speed of Xfinity X5, Dale. Well, speed isn't everything, Mike. You know that. Xfinity X5 is also reliable, powerful, and secure. Now, that it is, Dale. That it is. With Xfinity X5, you can do more of what you love with faster internet. You and your crew, you know, your crew. Yeah. Can stay connected with Wi-Fi coverage. It delivers the speed your devices need. And Lord knows you've got a lot of devices need that speed. Remember, everyone, send your Ask Junior questions to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. And before we hit the road, thank you to Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. Last call. Great show, everybody. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Greg Isles great, man. Really enjoyed that conversation with him. Good job, Mike. A lot of fun. Yeah, you had some great boy, questions. Boy, had, the guy has some experience now coming up through the ranks. He sure does. Good grief. I didn't know that he put that much into it uh, just to get the opportunity that he got at HMS. Pretty incredible. The drives Think alone. about the miles, yeah. The miles. The Dale Jr. Download on NBCSN is Thursday at 6.30 Eastern. Thursday, 6.30 Eastern. Uh, the Greg Ives episode. Uh, there's a new episode of Door Bumper Clear. The post-Daladega episode of Door Bumper Clear is out now. TJ, Brett, Freddie, 
Uh, they're joined by both Jeb and Harrison Burton. Man, that's pretty cool. Big family reunion. Uh, plus, they debate super speedway racing after Joe Logano's flip and his comments, Joey's comments. You'll hear about Brett's win uh, with Jeb Burton and how Brett feels t- entirely responsible for <laughs> the success of that day. And uh, reaction theater keeps getting better, guys. One of the parts of of, of the uh, Dirty Mo Media content stuff that I've always enjoyed. I wish it was part of our show, but we'll let them have it. Door Bumper Clear, available on all major podcast platforms. There was a song somebody wrote recently on Reaction Theater where it basically told them they all suck and that the only real podcast is the Dell Jr. Download. That's hilarious. It is funny. It's good. We should listen to that. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. This was a special one for me, having that relationship and friendship with Greg Ives. Um, and and I really appreciate how, how he felt like it was a great uh, it was great to be on the show. You could tell that he really enjoyed being here. That's what makes this show special, man, is uh, is having some great conversations like that. You guys have a great week, and uh, can't wait to talk to you next week. Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.